Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies! All you Halloweenies out there uh, in the States and beyond, it is time for the Screamson finale of Halloweenies Season 4. We're going to be talking about Scream, if you didn't get that pun. We're going to be talking about not only the movies of the franchise, we're going to be talking about the ghost faces. We're going to be ranking the movies and ranking the killers. This is the first time we've ever ranked the killers, because spoiler alert, in those first three franchises we, we covered, you know, we got Connell Cochran and Michael Myers for Halloween. We had, you know, my boy Freddy Krueger in all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And then you had Mrs. Voorhees, Jason Voorhees, and Roy. <laughs> Roy. <laughs> wow, the name. What was the bad guy's name again, uh, Rothman, in um, Ghostbusters 2016? It was like it was because it was like, like it was Neil? Gozar the Carpe. It was it was like Gozar the Carpe. Uh, Gozar the Gozarian, you know, Vigo the Carpathian, and it was like Neil something. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Smith or something like that. I think yeah. the bad guy's name was Paul Feig, wasn't it? Oh, 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 oh no. shots This fired. is not going to be. No, wow. I'm not going to go down there. Real I'm talk, not I'm like, take I have not seen the movie, so I've, I'm just making it funny. Joke. I'm not going down that path with you, but. <laughs> I, I have no dog in this fight. Listen, we got a very exciting finale ahead of us now. But, but before we do all these crazy rankings, let's go ahead. <laughs> let's go in a circle and introduce ourselves and, and talk about where we were when we ranked these movies. <laughs> so let's start. Let's go. I'm spreading the news, but I'm not leaving today. And nor is he because he is stuck in New York City. And his name is... Dan Dewey's theme, Caffrey. Where was I when I submitted my rankings? It was just a few days ago. <laughs> I was probably either in the middle of a work day or just on my couch at night and catching up on emails. And uh, what can I say? I drafted it in a, in an email and uh, made a couple switches, last-minute switches. Um, not for the movies. My movie rankings have stayed solid for a while. But uh, for the other thing we're ranking today, I don't know if the fans know that yet. <laughs> but uh, Nor does Justin. Who yeah. put together this immaculate list in a specific <laughs> order? <laughs> so this is gonna fuck everything up. Yeah, but yeah, that was uh, yeah, that, not much of a tale. It, it was an email. That was about it, and that's where I was. <laughs> well, I'm that. also waiting on pins and needles to see if you indeed changed your Ghostface rankings since the email, because it's going to affect. Oh no no no! I haven't done that. No no sorry. I well, I switched it I, while I was drafting the email. Oh, while no, you were drafting it. Okay yeah, okay, just while I was drafting. okay. No no you you got the final say. I got this the final a, draft. Yeah, exactly. I feel like yeah. uh, Mustafa Akkad over here with the final say. Yeah. 
Um, were you? Did you use your laptop or your uh, oh phone? Oh my god. <laughs> Uh, I, don't I don't. Like, I don't love sending emails from my phone. To be honest, I try yeah. not to. So yeah, maybe my work computer, maybe my regular computer. It was definitely a Mac PowerBook. Either way, though. Cool. Wait, I no, use my MacBook. Uh, my yeah, work. MacBook Air. MacBook Air. Either way. I did mine at work, so I'll get that out of the way. But let's go to somebody else. This person is very close to me. I've known him his entire life. Who is that? This is Wolfman Mac Gerber, also known in some circles as Rowan North. The oh, villain that's the Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2016. <laughs> Rowan North. Wow. Rowan North. Uh, I, I remember this really well because it was, I wrote my list down right after you pestered me about, did I, did you send me your rankings yet? Pestered <laughs> you? This week. <laughs> what is this? And I said, I'll, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll do it. So I sat down, uh, I sat down at, at, at work, I believe on my break and I, I, I scribble, scrawled it out. And uh, I got to say, it was very difficult, mm. the, the killer section, not as much the, even, even the, the movies, but it was, it was, it was hard, you know, I, I think uh, some of these are pretty close, but uh, excited Here's to get into Here's a spoiler for you. Nobody had the same rankings. Really? Oh, wow. I was wondering if, if we Isn't would have exciting? the same rankings for school. That's exciting. That's intense. I, I will say I used uh, a, a computer. It was a PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Justin proving that horror does not work when you have tech, uh, good technology. <laughs> what do you mean? Did it, did it didn't save or something? As in this bit isn't any good. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Continuing the bit. Let's go down to the south side of Chicago here. This is like, uh, oh, man, I didn't come up with a good nickname. Man. You blew it. I know. This is Mike Vanderplex Vanderbilt. Coming to you from the south side of Chicago. And where was I when I ranked the Scream films? I, guessing it was about 4 p.m. And I was still in my jammies, having gotten up at 3 p.m. Having a cup of coffee, reading some old newspapers, wondering, how can I stir up some shit on Twitter today? And then, thankfully, an email came through and it kept me occupied. So and that email was from Justo the Jerk Gerber, who... <laughs> Asked me to rank the Scream films and the Scream killers individually. That was the tough part. And I think I have the only ranking that matters, honestly. Like, I'll say it. You are the cheap trick of the Halloweenies. <laughs> in many ways, might I add. Let's go to our final co-host in this episode. We call him Podcast, and his name <laughs> is... <laughs> Hey, this is uh, Michael Spyglass Entertainment, ah. uh, Rothman. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got to say, like, it, it, when I did my rankings, it was, um, you know, uh, it was just one night mm. uh, a, a couple nights ago. Um, <laughs> my buddy Bobby had sent us some champagne, and it was just really nothing like it. I mean, I didn't think there was anything strange in ranking this, but, you know, 30-something kid with connections. I'm an exciting guy, and I'm really nice. And, you know, I I got to say, I introduce everyone to everybody, and everybody wants to be nice to me, and, you know, and I know how to handle it. So uh, I, I that was just a, a random quote that I pulled from Goodfellas uh, off of the, the, the internet here. And, um, Did you use IMDb? I No, I used uh, RottenTomatoes.com. Oh, um, always love Rotten yeah, Tomatoes. Was, They're always was, reliable. I was, I was paraphrasing Karen Hill, uh, who's uh, one of my favorite characters from Goodfellas. Well, Mike, when you said Bobby, I thought maybe you were talking about 
Bob Weinstein, who yeah. produced uh, several of these films, if not all, well, the first four at least. So that's well, very exciting that you got in touch with one of the worst Weinsteins out there. Well, let's just say he's not a good fella. He's a bad fella. No, and I'll tell you what, Dan Caffrey has read Taking Shape 2, which is about the the Halloween sequels that weren't. And everybody has bad things to say about Bob Weinstein and great things to say about Mustafa Akkad and Malik Akkad for that oh, matter. Oh, wow. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. you got to like, read it. I mean, it's, I, it's look, great. Yeah. It's Bob excellent. Weinstein's. I don't know, allegation-wise, he just seemed like a real asshole. And that's that's bad. <laughs> what do we want to do here? This is behind... By, let's take a peek behind the ghost face mask. Do we want to do our ghost face rankings first, or do we want to do our movie rankings first? What do you think? Let's put it to a poll. I Push say movies. I say... Oh, shit. I say movies. All right. Movies, movies. Mac? That's hmm. tough. I, I say movies because I think we'll have more to talk about with the killers rather than go along on the killers and then try to cram the movies in mm-hmm. <laughs> if we're trying to keep it under three hours. Why don't we turn the question to our listeners and sure, we'll let's, find let's out wait here. We'll find out. In, <laughs> let's in put this out. Now. Let's just put it out right now. <laughs> yeah. We'll wait three days. No, we'll wait three <laughs> we'll days sitting here on the mic and we'll talk more about Goodfellas and, and Bob. And it'll still be one of our shortest episodes. It will oh, still, will. This will definitely be our shortest episode at this point. Um, let's, you know what? Let's do the movies first. All right. For many reasons. That's how I have it ordered. Oh, this that works makes sense, out perfectly then. that two of you said movies and I'll be the tiebreaker for movies. Okay, so here's what we're going to do, folks. This is what we've done the last uh, three seasons. We're, we'll give the average rankings at the very, very end. I've worked it out too with my Gerberlytics, aka basic calculations. But what we're going to do is we're going to go, like, for instance, we're going to give our least favorite first, and then we'll give our second least favorite. It goes on and on. And, by the, and we'll talk about the movie or the Ghostface Killer. Once all five of us have mentioned the movie or the character. Ah. So if you're confused, don't be. Just sit back, relax. Maybe you're on your couch. Maybe you're in your commute. Maybe your significant other's like, how much longer is this fucking podcast going to be? And you're telling that significant other, listen, I've been dealing with the Halloweens for years now. I'm going to sit back and figure out what the fuck they like and they don't like. I've been dealing yeah, they've been, well, listen, they, trust us, they've been dealing with us for a long time. That's, that's, the, way I listen, that's the way I look at it. And God bless every, each and every one of you. Every, real quick aside of the story about how uh, a friend of the pod, uh, Chris Castenda, he, uh, his wife, it's like when Jabba the Hutt catches Han Solo, I know that laugh. I know that laugh. <laughs> Whenever he's listening to this shit. That's good. At least he's laughing and not like crying or screaming. Okay. Or fucking, so, that would be really, he's like, oh, God, I know that grunt. <laughs> I know that. My favorite, my favorite Han Solo line is, as far oh, back man. as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> okay. Mike, now, what you have yeah. to do now, because you made two uh, Goodfellas I'm, references in the first 10 minutes. Going, yeah. <laughs> you got to you got to Goodfellas the dumbest, it up. laziest fucking thing I've ever done on this podcast. Um, to be but, fair, guess what? Uh, one of the, one of the uh, people in Goodfellas is... Yeah. In Halloween four and five, Bo Star. Oh, that is true. Yeah, Bu Star, as I saw, I called. As him you him. called him, Bu Star. Whoa, whoa, wait, hold Halloween. up, hold up, hold right. up. No, no, no. Mike, his brother Mike Star is in Goodfellas. Uh, He's I think not. Bo Star is also in it. Is he really? Yeah. yeah look it up, the dad. Dan. You look it up while I give these right. rankings out, and you let me know. What Martin Scorsese movie Bo Star was in? Oh, he okay, is. Oh, He's fucking. Yeah. He's, He's Henry Hill's uh, yeah. dad. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank damn, you very I much. didn't know it. Man, you got two star brothers in Goodfellas. It makes me <laughs> hey, even more. Now go home and get your fucking shine box. Hey, oh. <laughs> well, well, Dan, that's how the star brothers met. It's on the Goodfellas set. Okay, here would we go. Be, would, would Salacious Crumb be 
<laughs> Tommy DeVito. Imagine he's so just from getting his head blown off. My secret, <laughs> my secret hope, and I'm gonna, I will, I will, I, I'm gonna let Mike do this as long as humanly possible in this episode because my secret hope is that this replaces the Irishman. <laughs> Oh, that's yeah, great! No, good fellows, I would much too, rather too watch Goodfellas. <laughs> it's, okay, it, at the end where they're uh, where salacious crumb is salacious B crumb is going to get made. It's two, the two Gamorian guards are taking him into the basement, and then no, Bimford, no, Dan, Dan, it would be the two uh, Goombayan guards. Goombayan guards. And then okay, listen, everybody, we're going Fortuna off the rails. Is standing there, and salacious guys. We're, ah, fuck! We're not allowed to go <laughs> off the rails until the one hour mark. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Another podcast. Usually, we are off the rails by the ten minute mark. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. <laughs> I've got the listings here, so um, I'll be able to say if you guys are right or wrong in your own personal rankings. Dan, <laughs> Caffrey, what is your least favorite? And don't just, don't talk about it. Just give me the name. What is okay. your least favorite Scream movie? My least favorite Scream movie is Scream 3. Scream 3, directed by Wes Grape. Mac, what is your least favorite Scream movie? My least favorite Scream movie is Scream 3. Scream 3, directed by Wes Craven. Right? That's correct. Okay, make sure. Okay. Salacious Crumb directed. (laughs) Salacious Craven. Um, (laughs) So stupid. I know. (laughs) So stupid. (laughs) Uh, It's so dumb. Would you like to read the winner of the thigh? Okay. Mike Vanderbilt. What is your Mike Vanderbilt? What is your least favorite Scream film? My least favorite Scream film is Scream Four, directed by Salacious. Directed by Salacious Crumb. Okay. No, Mike Rothman. What is your least favorite Scream film? Scream Four, written by Aaron Kruger. No, I'm kidding. Written by Kevin Williamson. Kind of. Did they they brought in Aaron Kruger for a little bit for like a punch up, right? They sure did. Yeah, a punch up is a, a generous. Well, you know, we won't get in trouble with the WGA. So we'll yeah. say well, Kevin Williamson definitely wrote all of Scream 4. Okay. For me, folks, I got to tell you, my least favorite Scream film is Scream 3. Hey, we can't talk about anything yet. We cannot talk about anything yet. Moving on. Dan Caffrey, of the five Scream movies, what do you have at number four? Uh, at number four, appropriately enough, I have Scream 4. Scream 4, directed by Wes Craven. Okay. Mac Gerber, what do you have at, at number four on your list of the Scream rankings? I've got Scream 4. Mike Vanderbilt, what do you have ranked at number four for Scream? I have Scream 2. Scream wow. 2, 1997. Oh. Scream 2 is the first time it's made an appearance on this episode. Mike Rothman, what do you have at number four in your rankings? Scream 3. Scream 3? Written by Aaron Kruger. Yep. Definitely. Definitely written by Aaron Kruger. For me, I have to say, Scream 4. Let's talk about Scream 4. And you know what? Let's let... I know Mike Rothman and Mike Vanderbilt were not on the Scream 4 episode. Is that correct? That is true. No, no. We weren't. No. Okay. Well, let's let Mike Rothman, you go ahead... And lead off, because this is both of your least favorites. So let's hear your thoughts on Scream 4 and why you have it at, at, at the end. Mike Vanderbilt, you want to go first? Oh, sure. Well, I can tell you, when uh, I didn't give Scream 4 a second thought until I finally sat down to watch it for coverage. When it came out, uh, even I wondered, who is this for? Does anyone really care at this point? 
as it stands, it's a two and a half star picture out of four that I like enough. But unfortunately, and I think especially when you compare it to Scream 5, it's about 10 years too late and 10 years too early at mm. the same time. I like that take on it. I think that's the take I've been looking for when trying to figure out, like you said, who is this for? What's going on here? Uh, Mike Rothman. Yeah, I mean, I echo a lot of those thoughts. I think, honestly, it, it seems like a blueprint for uh, for Scream 5 to kind of, I don't know, amend like all this sort of, or kind of like smooth out a lot of the wrinkles. I mean, one of my biggest gripes with it is that, you know, the the new cast is just ultimately forgettable. I mean, Emma Roberts does great at the end when she's unmasked. I think that she's, the, the, that whole run right there is fucking phenomenal. But beyond that, it just kind of feels so, everything just feels like an afterthought. And also, you guys mentioned this on the podcast, but like, I just feel like Wes Craven's direction is just not great in it. I think it's kind of just a little too, it, it, it all feels like everyone has like a, an Instagram filter on them. And I just, it just doesn't, I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel like a screen movie to me. Like there, there's something about it that like feels like, and maybe this was the intent of like, it was trying, it looks like almost like a remake, but it, it's not like it's a sequel at the same time, which makes sense considering the fact that they're commenting so much on remakes, but I don't know. For me, it just feels lifeless. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I think of, I get that, that it has like a great commentary at the end. And I think you all like hit on those notes, like perfectly in the episode and kind of gave it a little more depth and weight than I ever really thought it had. But it, I still find the the movie itself to kind of be, I don't know, forgettable. Like it, it, it's you. very, it's self serious too. Like I don't think that works really well. I'll, I'll I'll tell you what it is, Mike. Why there's a lot of reasons. Like you said, why it looks different. It's like you got to remember this is the first Scream movie. I think I imagine Scream Three was shot on film. I don't think that's. I think that's before everything went full on digital in Hollywood. That's probably what what the Instagram filter thing is, right? It's know. a weird. I, I made a comment on the episode. I, yeah. It looked like there was like uh, something smeared on the corner of some of the shots, or like the camera lens, or something like that. I don't know. It was uh, or the stock, the film stock, or something like that. And I think very, very strange looking movie. I'll say. Like the, um, the, the, I do like the Emma Roberts. I do like Emma Roberts as as a killer. Uh, mm-hmm. But like even her being part of the family almost feels just you know cribbed from Scream Three. Yeah, even exactly. though it is kind of clever and I do like I do will say I like the original cliffhanger ending and I think that would have made me much more interested in Scream 4 and where it would have gone well I think we'll get that ending once we get the Wes Craven cut of Cursed Um, (laughs) so Dan Caffrey you have this at number 4 as well so without talking about Scream 3 too much why do you have Scream 4 at 4 Oh man, it's it's hard to do that without talking about Scream Three because I do I agree <laughs> with what everyone is is saying. Um, I think I'd probably like the movie ultimately a little bit more better than the mics do, but I, I agree with all those criticisms about the cast not being as memorable, the pacing being slightly clunky. I I, I too would have liked that cliffhanger ending a little bit better. Um, and I should make it clear too. I don't know. I I think this is such. I've, we've talked about this. It's such a solid franchise. There's really none of the movies that I actively don't like. Yeah. Um, but I think my reasons for putting Scream 4 above Scream 3 have more to do with how I feel about Scream 3, which we'll get to. So I, I, I don't think I have a ton to add to uh, to the conversation in, in that regard. I mean, But it's funny. When I think about the plotting of Scream 4, there's nothing I dislike about it. And we, we went into a lot of detail about it being prophetic and all that. And um, it, it really just does come down to the characters, I think. they're not. I don't hate them, but they're, they're just a little lukewarm for me, especially thinking about scream five, which we, you know, you can hear our episode on it. 
and how much of a feat it was to pull off such an impressive new cast going back to form. Like, oh man, they really didn't didn't do that this time around. So I um, I just yeah. think of just to add on to that. I, I I don't know. I just feel like when you think about the film in the context, especially of Scream Five, but then also really in Scream Three, like we talked a little bit about, you know, we talked a lot about it on the episode about how like that ending is such a great button for Sydney. So that to see it come back and like reopen those wounds, I just felt like it needed it a little bit more to warrant that. And in a way that I think Scream 5 does a good job at like giving some more reason for it. I don't know. I just watching Scream 5, I just kept thinking like how much more impactful would this movie be if Scream 4 didn't exist? Like, hmm. and, I, and I just think a lot of it also happens to be that, you know, a lot of the plans for Scream 4 never came to fruition. And, you know, I remember going to see it and then no one really talking about it afterwards. And for me, it, it does feel like that sort of bastard kid in the, in the basement that, you know, it actually feels a lot like Roman, you know? <laughs> it feels like a real phenomena Dario yeah. Argento situation here. Yeah. The kid in the basement. Um, kind of. Okay, Mac, you've got Scream 4 at number four. What's going on? What's up? What's your problem? What's your beef? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't have a problem with it necessarily. It's not, it's not my dead last one, you know? I, I, I like Scream 4. I just think that you know, it just pales in comparison to the, the, the three above it. Now, having said that, I like that it's more simplified. Uh, I like that it's just we're back in Woodsboro and it's, you know, Ghostface doing doing what he does. I do like Roberts, especially the turn at the end. I I I, I bought that. I feel like the second time I watched it this for this run, I bought some things a little bit more. I do agree with Mike that the cast is largely forgettable. There's just there's reasons I have Scream Three when we get to it. There's reasons why that that gets dropped to the last okay. rung there. I mean, I would agree with everything everybody's pretty much said. I think Mac, like you said, I do like the fact this does feel like it's part of the Scream franchise in its own way. So I actually agree with you there. This feels like more in line with the first two movies than the third one does for me. But I do agree that the look of it, Mike Rothman, it looks like a yellowish hue, but not in a, in a cool prisoners Villeneuve type of way. You know what I mean? Like, like it's like an accident, like it's an accident, how it looks. Um, but, and for me, the stream movies are not always about the destination. It's just kind of the fun you have along the way, but this one lands at four, but not five, I think solely in a lot of ways because of the destination and the reveal at the end. And we'll talk about that later on as well. Okay. Oh, Mike Rothman, what did, so what would you give it? How many ghost face masks would you give it out of five? Oh, out of five? I think three. Three out of five. All right. So would I, actually. I think I gave it three out of five as well, overall. Yeah. Okay. I and mean, like Caffrey said, it's, I mean, it's a solid, I mean, this is a solid franchise. I mean, I think front to back, it's, it's, it's really hard to, I mean, you're really kind of reaching in, in terms of getting into an area where you would ever, like, there's never an area in this, in this entire, let me start that over. There's never a point talking about this franchise where I would ever put the, the, the word hate in it. Yeah. Which is what I can't really say the same for a lot of the franchises we've covered in the past. You know? Oh, yeah. So. I, I, like the, I like Scream 3 more than a third of the Halloween movies, you know? At least, <laughs> yeah. at, the, at least a third of those, you know? So, okay. We're moving on. Because now we have to get to our third favorite entries. Dan Caffrey, what is your third favorite Scream? My third favorite scream is Scream 2022, of course. Ah, you little, <laughs> little uh, weasel. There, okay. 
Matt Gerber, what is your third favorite Scream? Scram 2. Scram 2, 1997's Scream 2. Mike Vanderbilt, what is your third favorite Scream film? That's going to be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, Cream. Get on top. Get on top. Mike Rothman. Uh, Five Cream, starring Melissa Barrera. My third favorite Scream film is Five Cream. Let's talk about it. Not yet. Not <laughs> yet. I have a little tease. This is exciting. We still have two entries to go and four movies to talk about. You know, sometimes they say, hey, why do we have you know, these five guys doing the podcast? They're all going to say the same thing. Hey, guess what? Wrong. All of our rankings are different. What do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I, for real, I'm genuinely surprised at how the rankings are going. This is, I like this. I, th- I, th- I thought of all the franchises, this was going to be the most uniform, but it is clearly mm. not. Well, I'll tell you right now, Caffrey, at work, when I was finished, I looked at it and I screamed at the top of my lungs, holy shit. <laughs> and my human resources director came in and said, you can't do that. And I told him what happened. And then he said, holy shit. So that's how intense these rankings you, were when I was blowing them down. You printed out the spreadsheet and handed it to him. You're like, just take a look, look at these screen rankings. Shaking the, the spreadsheet <laughs> the eyes popped out of his head. <laughs> I started you walk, over the, lap, did, the desktop. Okay. Did you walk by your human resource paper? And he's like, I'm going to go get the papers. Get the papers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? For as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a podcaster. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Our, okay. This is exciting, folks. There are four different answers here. Dan Caffrey, what is your second favorite Scream movie? It's Scream, 1996, of course. Okay, directed by Wes Craven. Directed by Salacious <laughs> B. Salacious from. <laughs> okay. Mac, I have a question for you, my brother. My brother. Hey, bro. What is your second favorite Scream film? My second favorite Scream film is Five Cream. Let's talk about 2022's Scream, a.k.a. Five Cream. Um, what is left to talk about? We, 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 we all five of us spent three hours talking you know, about it a few weeks ago. I did come up with a bit that we could talk about this with. Go ahead. Yeah, go something ahead, that we skipped on the show that I was really curious about. Who hmm. was the mother? I know. We never did that. We, and oh, we texted yeah. about that beforehand, too. Who and was I, I texting? Well, we, like, when I, I, we didn't, have, like, we didn't we talk didn't about see. enough on that show. Oh, we had a, somebody... Here's what Disney will do in a couple of years. Or John Favreau and Dave Filoni will do this. They'll have oh, it be uh, somebody... One of the two girls who was in the bathroom yeah. making fun of Sydney in Scream 1996. I think that has to be it. I 100%. We were sharing those... Uh, you're sharing those photos, yeah. Yeah. Or the two girls that he's talking to in the video store. Oh, uh, yes. That's also possible. That's also possible. I don't I, think I it was the real... I don't, I think, don't think it was the mean Parker Posey-looking girl in the bathroom with the short hair. I don't think it was her. She was like too... No, she's the, the cheerleader. I would think yeah, it was she's too volatile. I, yeah, yeah, I don't <laughs> think it was her. Given what we know about the mom from Five Cream, I don't, unless she matured a lie, I don't think it was her. But they're, they're, they're of Mexican descent, so... I, and and unless we're saying Billy has some Mexican background, like I, I don't buy that. Like I don't think it's someone we saw. I don't think it's someone we know. I think it's just. I someone believe in somebody was carrying the baby on behalf of one of the people that we saw. <laughs> oh, a Mexican oh, woman was, was carrying. The, it was a surrogate mother for one of the high school. It was probably like an Omen Four. If anybody's oh. seen Omen Four, 
I have. It's starring, uh, what's her name, from V. Vanderbilt, you can't pull that name off the top of your head? I mean, I, I, when I think V, I always think Mark Singer and Jane Badler, but I don't think Jane Badler's in. No, the, the blonde hero. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know her name, though. Shame on me. All right, you looked it Michael, up while we talk about this Michael movie. Michael Lerner's in it, though. Yeah, and, and of course, the great... And and uh, who plays the great Bay character Grant, named Ham Tyler? Look, I mean, Bay it could Grant. be it could be anyone in Scream because I mean, if you remember in the first one, Billy's like, "Sure, mom, I settle down with the nice girl every night, then I'm free the next morning." Oh my god! <laughs> well, you know what? For those folks at home who aren't as in tune in the Scorsese verse, <laughs> there we get another Goodfellas reference. Here's what I do I know: I can't even say these with a straight. I heard face. that the, that they're they're going to set this Dave Filoni and, and John Favreau are going to be setting. <laughs> This prequel in 1996, and they've—they're not going to recast or anything like that. They've got this great technology now, Aww. where they're going to digitally recreate the face of the girl in the bathroom, and then filter it through this weird audio program for the this great performance. But Twitter's going to love it. They're going to love it. Okay, Scream 2022, Dan Caffrey. Scream 2022. Why? Why do you have it at number three and not number two? What the fuck is your problem? <laughs> Well, not number two. Except for for me. At the end of the day, objectively, maybe Scream 5 Cream is better than Scream 2. Mm. But nothing is going to beat the nostalgia of the first two movies for me. Like, I can't recreate how fun and special it was to go see those films in theaters and the conversation that buzzed in the schoolyard when I was 12, like that. You know, yeah, if all those movies came out now, maybe I wouldn't feel the same way, but I have to go by my own subjective adolescent experience with those first two films. And like, no matter how good Five Cream was, I don't think it was going to capture that kind of lightning in a bottle again. So, but I I love Five Cream. And I was going to say to your special effects uh, complaint, I thought what they did with Skeet Ulrich in the movie was pretty good. And so if they did give that treatment oh, no, to... No, uh, my, my no, blast no, 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 was not no, no, on Skeet no. Ulrich. My, my no. knock was on Luke Skywalker and, and the Book of Fett. But, book but of Scream Fett. shows, the book Scream of shows they're above that. They're not going to do that shit. They're, uh, and also, I actually just had a thought. There's that girl that Stu is on the couch with when they're watching mm. Halloween, and he's kind of getting handsy with her, and you're like, oh, that's horrible. Tatum's dead, and you're with this other girl. Maybe that's that's the mom. I don't know why. She she seems kind of prominent in the film, and you know, maybe Billy, she's into the killers Stu. in kind well, of a way. So. Maybe Billy and Stu have the same taste. You know, who knows? Yeah. We'll yeah, never know, yeah. maybe. Who knows? But yeah, no, for, for me, I, I love I love Five Cream. I mean, I had nothing but super positive things to say about it, but I... The, those first two movies were of a time and a place in my life that I cannot replicate. So that's, that's why they get those, those first two slots. Now, Mac, you, you are the, you are the one of the the five of us that has it at number two. So how, why do you have it uh, placed uh, so high? Like it's an accusation. Like we all hated it. Like what's your, what's your deal? What is this? Justice for all? I love scream Two, but kind of what Dan was saying, the, this year leading up to this and keeping everything, you know, uh, hidden from everybody. And then, and then with, with it getting generally good reviews and then we were all excited and then I got to see it with a bunch of, I, maybe I saw scream Two with a bunch of losers or something, <laughs> but this, like, I got to see this with the Halloweenies essentially. And I feel like, you know, I, I, it just did scream Two Isn't as good as scream, but what five cream does is, it just trumps it for me. Even the the violence of it, it was like if you're not gonna be scream, you've got to do something different. And I think the severity of the kills and the violence factor knocked it up that notch. Like That's I true. I do love Scream too, but there's things that I don't like about it. 
and 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 you know we'll get into that but like i just feel like for me five cream just and maybe i'm just rolling off of the <laughs> you know no, you're right. It, it the has the best sequences, right now, I think, out of any. It of hasn't changed. I, I, I guess when we did our ratings earlier, it, it hasn't changed for me. I'm still really. I saw it a couple times in theaters, and I really enjoyed it both times. I just, I don't I, know. I, think, I just had that feeling well, again that I had yeah. when I saw the first one. You know. Well, I think about especially in the months since we've seen it. Because I've only seen it once, but what I keep thinking about is that this movie was able to do things that Wes Craven was literally not allowed to do by the MPAA. You know, mm-hmm. it really does go for it. And, and yeah. so the sequences and, and the deaths hit you in a way that you just don't really experience in those first four entries. Those first four entries, somebody gets killed. We're more or less cutting away after that first stab, right? But this movie, I mean, you it just goes. Sometimes it'll outlast the score. You know, it'll just keep, it'll just, the person will just keep stabbing. And it's just this, it becomes this really visceral event in a way not even any of the, the Craven movies uh, were able to do. And... I think uh, this feels more timely to kind of go back to Mike's, Mike Rockman's scream criticism or Vanderbilt's scream criticism. Oh, hell, both of them Mike's criticism of Scream 4. This feels more timely in a way that Scream 4 didn't for one um, reason or the other. I think because we're so much in the throes of nostalgia for better or worse. But in the instance of Scream 2022, I think it's for the better. Well, I wanted to add. I wanted to add to that real quick, Justin. I think part of the thing with Scream 4 kind of going after remakes is that it's too close to it maybe mm. it's too like, so it doesn't have enough years under it to kind of offer a critique and while they're kind of doing a requel thing that's also taking the piss out of in scream in five cream they're also taking the piss out of the remake thing in general that started in the 2010s so you have 10 years to look back on it a lot like scream in 96 has 10 years to look back on the golden age of the slasher yeah, and even the prestige horror angle it's it's got about seven years eight years you know, of the elevated, the quote unquote elevated horror, as opposed to just being, you know, oh, something that came out last year. This isn't like, I'm trying to think of a good example here. This isn't like a scary movie three, where they're just, or like, you know, one of those date movie where they're just commenting or doing something that's so recent. There's no zeitgeist. You know what I mean? It's just, it's and so recent. And you probably recent. won't there's even no, get no it if you watch it three years from now, because you'll be like, oh, that was a thing. Yeah. That was popular. Like, oh, Chronicles of Narnia, that was a live action movie. You know, one of those things. Uh, anything, anything else? Did everybody get their say on a? Yeah, I have a couple. Five cream, Rothman. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, honestly, like the, I mean, think about all the stuff that this movie had against it, and I and I lump Scream Four in there. I mean, the idea of returning to Woodsboro seems like pff, I don't care. We did that twice, technically, if you want to count the sets in Scream Three, and then on top of that, you have like you know, you you really only have like a limited amount of legacy characters that you can lean on because, you know. The, everyone's anticipating like, oh, well, you got to kill one. You got to kill one. You, you know, we got to do this. We, you know, well, Sydney's got to die, you know, or someone's own's got to die. Like, you know, there's this anticipation that you have with the legacy characters now that ultimately that, that is built on further on since Scream 4. And then on top of that, you have, you know, the whole retread of the legacy sequel in itself, which honestly, like, I mean, if I'm being... Baird, I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast, most of the legacy sequels we get, you know, we come in ordering spaghetti with marinara sauce and we get egg noodles with ketchup uh, and we feel on. like schnooks. But oh, I, boy, I, I, use that, I use that quote well here because that's exactly what happens most of the time when we get these fucking legacy sequels. By the way, we're recording this on Thursday night before uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre hits on Netflix. So I can say this in the debargo. 
the movie is a shitty legacy sequel also. And, and like, that's not the case with Scream. Like, the thing that's so enlivening to me, which, by the way, did not have a great fucking viewing experience and just only further exacerbates my feelings about this film in the sense that I, the fact that I walked out of that movie loving this movie after having to sit next oh, to yeah. fun, like garbage yeah. and within garbage, like, it was disgusting. We talked about that, Mike. We said that you were at the theater, the abandoned theater from Dead Silence. Yes, that's what it felt like. <laughs> but, like, so the fact that I walked out loving it, it says a lot, but then I think also it's just it's the, the fact that I want more says yeah. even even more. Like I don't ca- like. There's been a lot of these tweets that are going online. I mean, that the most basic fucking tweets ever. That are just like, what did you think about this person in the screen movie? And it's like, would you like another movie with Sydney? Ugh, Should yeah. Sydney yes return? No. Actually, thumbs up, thumbs no, down. I don't. I don't want any of the legacy characters to return. Like I I I kind of just love the fact that it's about two sisters now. Like that to me is a unique hook. And Melissa Barrera I think is fucking great. And Jenna Ortega who's becoming like the go to scream queen now. She's going to be an ex. You know, she's in, she was in you. She's, she's phenomenal. And like, so if you build a franchise on those two, I'm, I'm in here for at least two more movies. And that I would, I couldn't have, if you would have asked me that like six months ago, three months ago, two months ago, even I would have been like, no, this, let it be it. This is, this could be it. They're already pushing their luck. And honestly, they've, they've opened the seams in so many ways. And I love it. So I agree. Mac. Yeah. No, I, I would just want to piggyback with, with Mike there. I totally agree with you. I think this, for, to be a film that makes me want to move on with new characters, that's a huge feat in a franchise that's been so intrinsically tied to Sydney, Dewey, and Gale, you know? Uh, oh. Also, Mike, even though you weren't able to see the film with us here in Chicago uh, and you were down there in Raven's Fair. <laughs> Raven's uh, Fair. <laughs> <laughs> you were here in spirit, and uh, mm. and I know I knew that you were probably enjoying it. Yeah. I like to think I, that I, Mike looked down upon the theater and gave us a <laughs> smile, much like the end of Billy Madison. Or, um, so, Happy, Happy Gilmore. 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 Uh, the alligator. Hey, you know, and, yeah. He, he uh, okay. gave a look down on the AMC uh, River East. Yeah, That's well, why we always call each other uh, Goodfellas, you know? Yeah. One word. Scream 22, it, it does this incredible double feat, right? You get brand new characters, and you're not calling out, well, where's the legacy characters? Where are they? Exactly. You're not missing them. But for me, when they do show up, I'm not bothered by it. No, no, no. Which no, I think no. was a pretty incredible feat, you know? Yeah, I think okay. the, in talking about nostalgia, I think this puts a pin in it. If I was 16 and I saw this one, I would have loved it. Well, I think we already talked about Scream 4, and, and, and that movie's got... A lot of fans, but like you said, Vanderbilt, I think a lot of people saw that movie when they were 15, 16 years old. And if that's your first scream in theaters, especially, and you're at that certain age where you're getting into horror, I, I get why somebody would think that you know, that's the best one. It's kind of like, you know, people it's like, get really nerdy for a second, but a lot of people have like, oh, um, for instance, oh, you know, for me, Tom Baker's my doctor or, you know, Peter Davis's my doctor. It's like, who was your first? Justin, and I think that does mm-hmm. make a big difference nostalgia-wise. It's like Friday the 13th and pizza. Your favorite one is the one you had when you were 11. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. What better way well, to say yeah, it? Even what I said about the first two Scream movies, for p- people that age, that is Scream 4 for them. Like, Scream 4 is their yeah, Scream 1, is exactly. their Scream 2. Okay, well, let's get to... Um, we're still in our second favorite film, so... Vanderbilt, for you, what is the second best Scream movie? And then I need you to explain. I'm going to give you the, the floor. <laughs> what is your second favorite Scream movie? I cannot movie? believe you put uh, pardon this Pardon me, not my second favorite. You mean the second best overall. Second like best. The second best <laughs> Scream <laughs> film is Scream 3. Now, I, let me lead it off. Ooh, it's take. because this is coming from Mike Vanderbilt. I guarantee this will be part of the conversation. 
Scream 3 understands the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you follow young Vanderbilt on Twitter, I promise wrong. you've seen that tweet at least six times. So go ahead, Mike. Um, well, I have to. You want, to why, you want to know why you saw that tweet six times? Because <laughs> it never gets any traction when I say it, but some other ding dong who lives in Los Angeles says it, and he, he, he's the king of Twitter for today. You, your continued disdain for Los Angeles is, is a great bit, by the way. And yet that's, that's the, the only city the he'd really move to, probably. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. you know what? You know, you know what's even worse than Los Angeles is fucking New York. Fuck them, too. Oh, dude. boy. Ugh, they clean that hey, place. Hey, like hey, Disney hey, store hey, over now. here. Okay. Hey, Times Square is still disgusting. It's just not fun. Yeah. So before we get into the discussion of the great underrated movie Angel from uh, 1983, I think it is, yeah. let's talk about Stream 3. Vanderbilt, why do you have it? Seriously, though, so high. Stream 3 mm. is the closest audience have gotten to Joe Dante's abandoned Jaws 3, People Zero. Mm. After Scream 2 introduces the Stab series, the next logical step is to bring the murderers to Hollywood. The film is indeed neutered, and does take, that does take the win out of sales of a series that's built on memorable deaths. But thematically, Scream 3 understands the assignment better than 2 <laughs> and 4, and about equally to 5. I'd say mm. they're on that same level here. It's taking the piss out of the trilogy. A uh, trilogy is rare in horror, as we've discussed before. And that just means you're referring to Star Wars, which at that point wasn't even a trilogy. Uh, the long-lost half-brother aspect does require a serious suspension of disbelief. But it's still fun, it's funny, and while it requires that, it, the obnoxious, over-the-top Prescott family saga works. And it offers up a terrific end for Sydney and the yeah. series. First, defeating Roman with the line that expertly calls back to the original, that movies don't make psychos, that you do this because you choose to. Which, uh, Scream 5 actually kind of takes the wind out of that a little bit. And uh, Sid finally breathing a sigh of relief as her front door swings open. Scream 3 is a lot like Elm Street 5, Freddy's Dead, Halloween 5, Jason Takes Manhattan. It's just a series running out of pop culture steam and limping its way across the finish line. Well, what we thought was the finish line. But overall, the pieces fit. Now, Vanderbilt, when, when Mike Flanagan wrote that for you, how long did it take for you to memorize that? That monologue? <laughs> I'm not memorizing this shit. I'm reading <laughs> know, it off kidding. the fucking paper. <laughs> I think for, for me, Scream 3, this is what I would advise anybody out there who's got friends who have not watched the Scream movies. For years, nay, may I say decades, I did not like Scream 3. I watched it earlier this year without taking notes just to watch the Scream movies in you know January, February to get amped up for the season. This is last year, I should say. And I was like, oh, this, actually, this movie's actually pretty good. But here's the thing. When you're doing podcasts and you're trying to do a really good podcast, you know, you're really trying to dive deep and really dissect the movie. And I think that when you spend too much time really dissecting Scream 3, it hurts the experience. <laughs> because like you said, Vanderbilt, it's like, like you have to suspend, you have to have moments of disbelief, suspend your disbelief a couple times in this movie. But when you're really trying to interrogate the film as it is in 2000, you know, it, it hurts it. And I think that's why Scream 3 for me is so low. And, and, and it's also just such, uh, I still think this is the case, I think it's such a major step down from those first two entries especially. And for me, it also goes too far in the, in the direction of parody. It takes Wes yeah. Craven dressed up as Freddy in a janitor outfit, and now we've got Jay and Silent Bob walking around. Just little things like that. The ghost bit with the mother is, for me... The worst part. Really uh, badly the, done. The, the, the um, flashbacks doesn't fit and everything. It, the second it, worst ghost part. It doesn't... <laughs> yeah. It doesn't quite 
it's like they're they're reaching so hard for and, and it's only the third film it's you know to go that far in that movie maybe four they did all that in four i'd be like okay but it doesn't feel like they didn't have anything left to play with and i all the maureen prescott flashbacks and all that stuff is just abysmal and i'm sorry but look i love the ending to three i do and mike and i have talked about that before but a good ending you know, a two-minute two good ending does not make this, the, you know, in my opinion, anywhere near as good as the other films. But that's, that's just me. Rothman, you've got it at, at number four overall. What, what, what do you like and not like about it at this point? I just think there's a little more singularity to it. Hmm. You know, like I, I think, of, you know, not the dog on four again, but I just don't really feel <laughs> there's any sort of individualism to it. Like it just feels sort of like a mishmash of greatest hits. And I just don't feel that with... Three. I feel like, you know, for all the points that Mike made, I mean, I'm pretty much on the same page with the exception of, you know, being too uh, glowing with the movie, because I do think there are some major blemishes with this film, all of which you just outlined, Justin. But ultimately, you know, when this was a trilogy and, you know, this was seen as Sydney's story. The story we do get with Sydney is, 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 is pretty great. Like, I, I actually do think a lot of it lands. Um, the ghost mom stuff sucks. Um, I did, I did see a tweet today, not to just <laughs> shit on Twitter again, but like there's one that's like, e- even, uh, she would scare Michael Myers or whatever. I was like, what are I you nuts? It's like, this is the dumbest scene in the whole franchise. Like anyway, that, she that maybe aside, scare Sherry Moon zombies, ghost mom from Halloween Two. Rob. Zombies, that is true. But, yeah. <laughs> now Sherry hey, Moon same zombies, vibe. ghost mom, I can get into, well, but this ghost mom, I can't even remember the scene that you guys are talking about. With the, the it's when she's sleeping mom? on her couch, and then she walks oh, up to the, God, the window. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But it looks, like you know, it looks like it looks like Mr. Boogity from Disney Channel back in like '86. <laughs> it does. It's really That's bad. The vibe I get. But I. But ultimately, what I love about Screen Three is just that it's pop horror. Like it's pop horror mm. in the grandest sense, and I and I do think that it is a stumble from the highs of one and two. But again, it, it, it's that landing. And, I, and, and for me, the landing is so important, especially like you have to think of it in the context of when it was released, when it was a trilogy capper. And because and that's what it was built as. So which is one of the reasons why I also ultimately can't, I, I, I do kind of look at for less than because if you're going to come back, you better bring some fucking guns, which is something that I think Scream 5 does well, which is why I wish, I swear to God, I mean, we talked about this in the episode. I just wish that we would, like Scream 5 would have been like the next one after three because I just think the, mm-hmm. the impact would be even that much more through the roof. But anyway, I digress. Well, Dan Caffrey, I have a question for you to put yeah. you on the spot. What would you prefer? Would you prefer more of uh, Scream 3's Ghost Mom or Sidney Poitier's Ghost Dad? God. Sidney Poitier directed Ghost Dad? I had no yes, idea. Yes, that's correct. I, is there, does Ghost Dad die in the beginning by his car going off a bridge or yes, like a he covered does. bridge? Yes, he does. I remember that from when I was a kid, but I don't remember the rest. That's because of it was in the commercials. I don't think you ever saw that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's actually probably Because I've never true. seen it, and I know that he, he, uh, the car goes fact, off the I bridge. Saw, I saw that film in theaters, yeah, and same. I saw Scream 3 in theaters. Oh, which one, did, a, uh, which one did you enjoy more? Is Scream yeah. 3 better than Ghost Dad? Oh, I have to say Scream oh, 3 is a little sure. bit better than Ghost Dad. I, Scream 3. <laughs> a, uh, a smidge. I, I'd still enjoy Scream 3. It's my least favorite in the franchise. But I know this is such the cliche thing that everyone makes fun of in this movie. But it's it's the Jan Saint Bob shit. I know it's only like yeah. 10 seconds, but like it really does take it down a notch for me. And I don't know. I... On one hand, I do agree with what Vanderbilt is saying, but I don't know if it commits 
as much as something like Gremlins 2 does, or even Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, in my opinion, to where I believe that it's it's supposed to be going that far with the humor and the jokes. Like, it feels like a half measure to me a little bit. Mm. Once again, a half measure I still really like. I mean, I do enjoy the movie. I love the opening with Cotton. I th- I actually think it might be my favorite final shot of any of the Scream movies. Like oh, that. Yeah. I would agree so, with you on that. 100%. It's so spooky and yeah. ties so well to Sydney's journey. So, But yeah, for me, it's just the and and, uh, and the killer. We'll get to him eventually, but yeah. I think... <laughs> Um, Not my favorite. Yeah, for me, and I think Raphael will agree with me. I think I loved Scream One and Two so much that when we got to three and it was and it was leaning into that parody, even if that was the point or if that was the assignment, I think that it to me it's like the X Files jokey episodes. Like I wasn't ready for it, and I didn't want to make light of it. I I was like, I want to take this seriously (sighs) still. And you're having you're fucking breaking the fourth wall with Jane Silent Bob. I, I just I didn't like that. And I didn't like the 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 villain reveal. I I just yeah, it just wasn't ready. And I, I will say, like you, Justin, I rewatched it very recently for this and last, and then during COVID, I rewatched it finally, and I enjoyed it a lot more than when I first saw it. But I still don't think it's as good as these other movies. Yeah, a couple of things I like to add before we move on to the next uh, ranking here. Uh, we 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 have to mention. I don't think any of us mentioned Parker Posey as Jennifer Oh, she's Jolie. great. She's, she's one great, of the best characters it? in the franchise. And here's why I don't, I'm not so bothered by Sydney returning, um, even in four, uh, but especially in five, is that I feel like her arc, her story arc, is over satisfactorily in Scream 3. Great yeah. final shot with her not wanting to close the door. She appears in Scream 4 and she appears in Scream 5, but for me, those are not her movies. No, I agree with that. That's why I don't feel this isn't like we're we're like diluting the ending of the original Halloween by having him just walking around or something like that, you know. Well, she kind of almost still just appears in three though, too. Which, to be fair, like she's in it for like what 10, 15 minutes or something like that. But I mean, yeah, she's um, she's in, she's not in the first half of the movie essentially. Yeah, you know what it's, I mean? it's kind of interesting how I, yeah. I mean that's also a big detriment to the movie too because if you are making this her, you know, the ending to her story. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound like Randy Meeks here, but, uh, the main character has got to be a part of the third movie, uh, which, you know, <laughs> she's only halfway through in, but, uh, anyway, it's fun. well, we need to talk about Mike. Let's stay on you for a second. Mike Rothman. What is your second favorite screen movie? Uh, scream. And I don't mean 2022. I mean, 1996's 1996's scream. And this is directed by Wes Craven. Okay. My second favorite Scream film is Scream 2. We cannot talk about anything yet. It's exciting. We must move on to our favorite Scream entries. Dan Caffrey, what is your favorite Scream movie? My favorite Scream movie is Scream 2. 1997, Scream 2. All right, not, not, we can't talk about it yet. Not yet. Oh, oh shit. No, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Sorry. Matt Gerber, what is your favorite Scream uh, the original Scream. What does Sydney say in Scream Four? Uh, don't I fuck don't know. The original. I, I can't the original. remember that movie. Yeah, what, she says, what, "What am I, a fucking clown?" That's what she says. <laughs> Do I amuse you? Okay. Do I amuse you? She, she said, Vanderbilt. "Whenever we needed money, we'd rob the airport." To us, it was better than Citibank. <laughs> Ah, no, Mike Vanderbilt, just go down the alley. Just go down there. I got it's Karen, fine. Karen. I gotta go. Karen. <laughs> ah, it's fine. Just go down the alley. Okay, Mike Vanderbilt, what's your favorite stream movie? Uh, that would be Johnny Roast Beef's seminal 1996 <laughs> film, Scream. 
written by Kevin Williamson. Mike Rothman, and I'll let you talk about it. What is your favorite Scream movie? Scream 2, baby. Hit it. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I put everything out there on that, that episode. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I do, you know... For me, though, I mean, to reiterate a lot of the stuff, I mean, it just hits all its right targets. I mean, it, it, for me, it learned the mistakes of its predecessor with giving us, I thought, stronger characters. I think it's self-aware without being too cute. I, I think it's really smart, but it's not pretentious. And I think it's broad without dumbing itself down, like Scream 3. I also just think there's a severity to this movie that goes non-existent, that just doesn't happen or doesn't come back again until, I think, the violence of Scream 5. Like I watch this movie and I feel the danger around every corner. I watch Scream and I feel like it's kind of like the fun and thrill of a haunted house movie. Like then that's not to say it's not scary. I do think that the original one is still scary, but I am genuinely scared of of Ghostface in the second one because hmm. of just I think the violence is intense. I think that the the college campus is a lot more sporadic and unpredictable. And I, I don't know, there's just a magic to this movie. And, and I talked about it in that episode, just the reunion of it. And just seeing all these characters that were pretty disparate in the first one. Like, if you think about it, like the fact that like, we're excited to see even Dale and, and, and like, or Dale, Gale and Dewey get back together and, and work together. We didn't really see them really work together in the first one. Like they still kind of flirting and playfully in it. So like to see them having that relationship is really fun. Cause that kind of becomes the foundation for the movie fran- the, the franchise itself. And then like to have like, you know, Sydney pairing up with Randy and little bits in there. Like it, it was just, I don't know. It was just fun for me. And I, and I think a lot of it is what Caffrey says is that it does hit that nostalgic nerve because like, this was the first one I saw in theaters. Like this is the one that like got me into horror at another level than I was before. Um, I mean, look, I was always into things that go bump in the dark. You know what I mean? But I, and that's not even a Goodfellas reference. Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, <laughs> go bump but, in um, the dark. But I, uh, you know, like bump in the dark, like you're, you know, bearing some guy in the trunk uh, mm. off the high side of the highway. I, I, this one just sent it overdrive for me. So I'm always going to have this as a special place, but I, I just fucking love this movie so much. Yeah, I, for me, the, the nostalgia is so high with this one, too. I mean, I, I can remember everything about going to see it 25 years ago. I remember everything about going to see it that, that night when we were all rushed over there and all the screenings were sold out and we were all disappointed. And we all went to go see it the next day in the afternoon. I think it's when you think about the rush job that this movie was, yeah. it's a pretty incredible feat as well. Uh, I think, you know, I have a ding b- below the first one because I actually don't think that the the overall cast is as memorable or as good as that that first cast. I think a lot of them are kind of replacement players. Having said that, I mean, I, I think about that scene where they're trying where they're trapped in the car. Yeah. I think about that opening sequence. I think about how happy I was to see everybody again, and it had only been a year. You know, I feel like nowadays we just get movies and TV shows and spinoffs and everything else, and we're just, oh, here we go again. We're, down, we're going down the same old trickster. But I was eagerly anticipating seeing these people again very much. And uh, the movie delivered for me a lot. And, and I remember also being, and let me preface this by saying, I know there's a lot of people on on Twitter, you feel like they only watch horror movies, so maybe they're a little more impacted by certain events than like if they had seen, you know, <laughs> an elevated film from like the 60s or 70s, if I can get off my high horse. Uh, 1960s Breathless, perhaps? Yes, Breathless, you know, even the Breathless remake with uh, Richard Gere. No, Good but <laughs> uh, for me, I remember getting kind of choked up at the end of Scream 2 when Sydney says, you know, talk to Cotton, he's the real hero. And looking at it now through another lens 25 years later... 
And when you watch her walk off by herself, there's something really um, sad about that sequence. You know, her friends are dead, her boyfriend's dead, and she's still just going to keep marching on alone. And that really lands, and that's probably the best use of Collective Soul that we'll ever experience in our <laughs> lives as well. So, yeah, for me, Scream 2, I still love it. It's my, it is my second favorite. But, uh, Mac, what about you? Why is it your your third favorite? I think you kind of explained why it's at number you know, three because of Scream yeah, 22. I mean, it, it was my second favorite until Five Cream. You know, I think it it it, it also has that the nostalgia factor of walking out of a, of a sequel to a horror film that I got to see in theaters that didn't suck. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like 100%. it was like, wow, you yes. guys didn't mess this up. Yeah. And even, even if it has some faults, which I might talk about later, I still feel like it, it did what it needed to do as a sequel, which is kind of funny because there's only so many good sequels out there. Really? Mm. Yeah. I, 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 I I, I do really like the movie still. I, it, it's it's only three because Five Cream exists and for me now. And Dan, this is also your favorite. My favorite. I think I've talked about the experience of seeing it many times. And I, you know what? I had been trying to remember what film we were supposed to go see when my dad let me see it uh, by myself. And I was looking at what came out around that time. And I think it was Anastasia. And I was fine oh with going God. to see Anastasia. But no, then my, well, my dad was like, what, yeah, what were you saying, Mac? Well, I was gonna. Is did you not see Scream One in theaters? No, no, I saw Scream One in theaters too. But the reason Scream Two is a big deal for me was because it was the first film I saw by myself in theaters. Like we got to the theater, oh. I thought we were seeing this, and then my dad was just like, "You want to go see Scream Two by yourself?" And I was like, "Yes." And and it was the the day of Christmas break for middle school. Everything felt right in the world. Even aside from that, yeah, there's the nostalgia factor. There's also the college campus factor. Like mm-hmm. Dan Flieger and I uh, from the Losers Club, we always used to joke that, "Oh, it'd be fun to be in a." college town during a, a killing spree that was going on which is a horrible thing to say like you don't want a killing spree to no, be going on yeah, but dan, it's that dan was insane. like dan was like wearing a mickey shirt under his sweater you know? <laughs> well to be fair flieger <laughs> yeah, is mickey yeah. so you know let's, let's it, it's, and so it was so there's that element of it too it's 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 so fun i like how extra it is i know that the ending is a little over the top with you know sydney being in the greek tragedy and all that but I love that it goes there. I mean, and it's what Randy says, that sequels do have to be bigger. And I think that this does that in a way that's so satisfying. And and once again, I mean, even watching it today, Randy's death still gets to me. Like oh, it's, it's so It's so cruel, both in just killing him anyway, and then also in the execution. It's such a brutal, creepy death. It's a daylight death, which I always hate. Yeah, it, it's and, and for everything you guys have said, too, it, it's a movie that succeeded when it had no right to. Like, it's kind of amazing that it managed to both build on, upon the original and honor it and take the franchise in, in, in a new direction. Like, honestly, when I even as a kid, when I saw the very the first Scream in theaters, I didn't think it would ever get a sequel. It just didn't seem like a movie that you could do a sequel to. But Scream 2 proved that wrong. So, yeah, it's always going to be. It's always going to be my favorite, both for like sentimental reasons of just having a really good experience seeing it, but then also just like it kind of doing the impossible and, in my opinion, paving the way for modern horror franchises in general. So, yeah, my number one all the way, and I think it will stay that way until I die. Dan, it seems to me like you enjoyed Scream the College Years more than Say by the Bell the College Years. Yeah, I kind of like Stay by the Bell College Years when I was. You know, it's funny. Banger when, theme song. When it, when it was the theme song was like uh, it was almost like nine hundred two one zero. That song's pretty good though. And the well, band I, guys I, weird. I remember though. when the College Years premiered because you know I was a big. I think like all of us, I was raised on the original Saved by the Bell or Good Morning Miss Bliss. If you're going back really far, and, those are the yeah, real heads out there. I remember uh, Saved by the Bell. The College Years premiered. I was like nine, I think, and. 
I can't or no 10 maybe and I came in I didn't I didn't get to watch it but my friends did I came into class I remember my one friend this kid Hunter didn't like it and he was like oh he's like man Zach got fat Slater looks like he's on steroids like oh, <laughs> I don't geez. know why he was just like <laughs> it's like tearing apart the was this the was like Joan Rivers grandson yeah yeah <laughs> I know, <laughs> he a real yeah, jerk. Yeah, seriously um, I just remember him saying that and then, Rothman you need to yeah. put down <laughs> in the notes that we definitely talked about Saved by the Bell the college years I know um, I mean we're hitting every box here look, we're doing it you're gonna get this man we're nowhere else that's exactly right that's what separates us from the pack we're putting out a product they love that we love them we love their listenership that they know what they're getting where what other horror podcasts you're gonna get this on none None. zero zilch (laughs) we're clowns now Vanderbilt you've got this at number four in your rankings you had lower than any of us so uh go ahead go ahead with your with your you you talked a little bit about your criticism of the scream 2 movie and the episode we did yeah but if you like to echo some of that uh, you know, I'm probably hardest on Scream 2 because of how good the first one is. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the sequel, it's such a large piece of the history of the slasher, perhaps even more so than having an original film, because every hacky joke about horror movies post-Friday the 13th involved a, involving some fictional series of films having 25 or so entries. And, you know, Scream, you know, Scream 2 takes a different path than most slasher sequels, focusing on the survivors of the original instead of bringing in a new crew of archetypes to slaughter. Part of what makes the Scream series hum is how audiences have grown to love our heroes, and the picture starts off running with an impressive opening sequence, you know, leading into that meta style of the original film with characters going to see a film based on the original film. But after that, aside from some memorable sequences and surprises, it slides too much into Friday the 13th Part 2 territory where it's just repeating itself. And like Friday the 13th Part 2, some seem to think it does work better than the original. I, I disagree. And despite a groovy soundtrack and some welcome new additions, Scream 2 ultimately doesn't work for me because thematically it doesn't take the piss out of the slasher sequel enough. It just becomes another one. And the mystery, which is a tremendous part of what makes the original come together, falls apart largely due to the script leak. But I know Wes and Kevin uh, could have come up with a more interesting final act. Look, fair, fair criticisms, you know. Fair criticisms all, I'd say. Um, but would you even say, quote, Vanderbilt, that you, it's not like you don't like the movie... Look, right. man, it's when still... you're when you're ranking when you're ranking only five movies, something's got to sit towards the bottom. Exactly. You know? Yeah. This isn't like, uh, hey, what's Halloween five? How do you feel about True. it? You know. Rockin I got one qu- well, yeah, I was going to say I got one question for you, Vanderbilt. Mm. Let's quote Larry, Larry Miller from Waiting for Guffman. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with you? And you're saying that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Obviously, I'm smarter than everybody else in the fucking That's room. Exactly That's exactly right. right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't you know how this works? How this podcast works? Obviously, I'm smarter than everybody else on the wall of this haunted mansion. That is true. Oh, yeah. It's it's spooky. To, to be fair, Vanderbilt, I'm not showing up very well because of the green screen thing. Yeah. So you're right. You are smarter than everybody you can see. <laughs> oh. Hey, guess what? My favorite screen movie is 1996's Scream, which we can talk about now. You guys, you know it's been nicer lately, and in Wisconsin, you never quite know when winter is going to be in, but it's been nice for like four days in a row, and I'm like, if sunnier days are coming, it's time to fuel up, and so I'm going back to my factor meals that no prep, no mess. I want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach. You've got options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, 
Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals, dietitian approved guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible, two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are, you've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from, 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always gonna have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want. It's effortless, guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code badmovies50 at factormeals.com slash badmovies50 to get 50% off of your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What else is there to say that hasn't been said a million times? Here's what I will say, and I and I talked about this when I um when I wrote about Wes Craven. I think it was actually after he passed away. I said it's so rare for a filmmaker to have three iconic horror movies. And they're different in, in the ways that they are iconic. I think about The Last House on the Left and what that did in the mid 70s for that genre and where it went and how disturbing it was and everything else. And you've got Nightmare on Elm Street in the 80s and what that did with the imagination brought into the slasher element of a horror movie. And then another decade later with a new Nightmare. No, but I do love New Nightmare. But what I'm trying to say is <laughs> Scream changed it again. And it's just, it's crazy to think about that somebody's able to do that. We- to echo over what, a span of over two decades. To echo what you're saying, like every ten years or so, a horror picture comes along that changes the game. Mm-hmm. You know, go back to Nosferatu, Universal Monsters. I was a teenage werewolf. Psycho, The Exorcist, Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, Nightmare on the Street, and Scream is one of them. Absolutely, a Stone yeah, Cold. It's just classic. wild that's the same person. And it's, that, I, you it's, can't say that. Right, absolutely, and there are. I think there are. Uh, a good number of horror directors that have three classics in them, right? I mean, you could even argue Toby Hooper, maybe depending on how you feel about I don't know Funhouse or something. But no, you know, I, I think there are directors out. John Carpenter, I think, has three class easily three classic horror movies. But they didn't his, change the game. Or, yeah, exactly. It's yep. a, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yep, exactly. I had a question: Is it do we credit Craven for this, or do we credit Williamson? Because here's my other question to that. Is this movie the same hit with Tommy McLaughlin as director if he takes it on? You know, if you recall in our interview, he says he was gonna, he, you know, he was offered this. You, do you know why I said he, I think it, it was in the stream episode or was it one of the stream episodes that we did? Believe it or not, I think it was in all of them. So it was one of the stream <laughs> episodes that we did. I said I always felt that Wes Craven was a better filmmaker than he was a director, and I think that goes for Scream. I, I, I don't know that. if it would have been better with with somebody else with a more I, like a visual flair. But there's something about what Wes Craven gets out of the performers, mm-hmm. and he's kind of he's just so even keeled. And I feel like that was a great way of balancing things up with the producers. Like I said, the wine scenes were nightmares to work with with everybody else. I'm assuming it was the same yeah, for Wes true. Craven. And there's just something there when you've got a captain like that. It's just easier to navigate through the tough waters of making a movie. Look, we talked about this. I, I joked about this a lot. Like you know, it's really hard to make a movie. <laughs> and, and, and look, not all Wes Craven's movies worked, but. He was always a steady captain at the head of the ship, as much as I know about nautical uh, history. Well, and he, and I, I think, too, because he was a, what was he, like a lit major or a classics major? He was an English teacher. Yeah, he was an English teacher. Yeah, yeah. I think he, yeah, I agree that I don't, I, I would argue, not even argue, I think I know that 
Scream 5, 5 Cream has more visual panache, I think, than any of the films that Craven did. But I think what Craven did, like, I mean, I agree with what you said, Justin, about him being a filmmaker. I think he understood the relationship between the text and the direction really, really well. Like, I, I, I think, like, I feel like Craven is very aware of the themes going into his movies, which not a lot of genre directors are. A lot of times I think they're kind of figuring that out as they go along. But I felt like Craven yeah. just kind of knew what he was doing with each of these films. Even Scream 3, which isn't my favorite, like, he knew what he was trying to say with it. And I think yeah. that goes a long way in, in any horror movie. He gets he gets in his head a lot. I mean, which is one of the reasons why I think a lot, some of his movies suffer from it. Like, like you know, we all praise the new Nightmare, and I think it's fine. But that final act is him getting in his head too much about the Gothic yeah, and like, the, the mythology, the Greek mythology of it all and everything. And that's, I, and I, that's him fixing it in Scream 2. I agree. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's, <laughs> that's true. true. With the Greek which, play, have, yeah. you, have you guys read, and I actually like the remake better than the original, but have you ever read the screenplay for The Hills Have Eyes, the original Hills Have Eyes? No, you know no. it's like a total trashy exploitation film, but there there's a scene I think like a sex scene between the husband and the wife. I can't even remember if it's in the movie, uh, or maybe maybe between the young couple. I can't remember, but the way he writes it on the page, and I'm not joking. It's something like, yeah, their hands snake together and they feel their forms becoming one with the earth, the desert earth below them. Oh wow, like, what hey, are you doing? Like, hey man, hey, like English professor. Point. If like you want, yeah, no, you're getting a little in, in Vanderbilt. Your own head about Vanderbilt, this. let me ask you this question: Sexy. Would you say Vanderbilt that even though you know the radio silence guys have got more of a visual flair, do you would you say though that when it comes to scream, is it possible that Wes Craven understood the assignment better than those guys? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you Literal what, Simon. I just wanted to say, you guys were talking about Wes Craven and sex scenes. Have you guys ever seen The Fireworks Woman? Is 1975. Uh, no. But that was directed oh. by, what was the name? What was the name Abe he used Sna- for that? He used the pseudonym Abe Snake. Yeah. That's well, right. Great name. Written and directed by him, but all those themes that kind of go into, especially his earlier work dealing with religion and repression and everything, they're all there in The Fireworks Woman, and it's well-directed, and I think... Everybody should go back and check that one out too. But Radio Silence is actually uh, doing a legacy sequel to that. <laughs> We're all very excited. Women, the Fiverr, Mac, the Fiverrworks woman, the Fiverrworks woman. Jack Kirby is coming back. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Mac, you've got this at number one. Yeah, uh, nothing touches it. These other movies don't exist without Scream. It, it, it's one of those things. Where I could close my eyes. I could, you know, be in a sensory deprivation tank, and mm. I could watch the whole movie in my in my head. It's I've seen it so many times. It's so memorable, and 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 it is. It I I I'll I'll go back to. It's one of the first horror films that I got to see in the theaters. Now, granted, I I snuck in, but I think I was sitting in the front row <laughs> at a dollar theater, and man, it just it blew me away. I was just so happy that this existed, and it was like it was like. This is our horror villain, you mm, know what I mean? Yeah. It felt like Ghostface was ours, you know? Like, I loved watching all the original, you know, shows like Halloween and Rather 13th and all that stuff, but Ghostface was our generation's, you know, uh, big bad, and I really think just that just solidified it in my in my brain as as the number one. Like, you you really would have to... I, I don't even know. Like I, I get Scream Two being some people's number one as well because I, I, it's the Aliens versus Alien thing. I think they're two slightly different films, uh, but both are really tight. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's just it's that first one. Just all the elements come together. The cast is phenomenal. Just it's just tight. It's a tight movie. <laughs> now Vanderbilt, this is your favorite Scream movie. Now this should be no, noted that this is one of two movies that you like. Past the year 1986, I think, right? It's this and Broken Arrow. So I'll give you the floor. Uh, why is Scream your favorite? 
Well, I, I have I have my notes exactly what Max said because I saw it when I was sixteen, and even though I grew up with Freddie, and you know Freddie is you know part of my culture, part of my pop culture love, part of like you know it's inborn into me. But like, Scream felt like it was mine. And think about this: how lucky they were. I mean, just all the pieces fitting that they created an iconic costume. Like, and they bought it off the rack. But this is like, yeah. this yeah. is 16 years after the golden age of the slasher. We've had the hockey mask. We've had the minor suit. We've got the claw with the hat and the thing. And they still were able to do it because every time, a lot of times when they try, people, filmmakers try to give that iconic costume, it just feels like too much. They're trying too hard. They're just trying to be Freddy Krueger. I think and, the rest of the 90s was just guys, or, or even in some cases, uh, women, who just had like giant black cloaks <laughs> like, like urban legend or i know what you did last summer it's like yeah just throw in some cloaks and have them do their thing sorry oh but you just more notes on that on, on that thing, <laughs> i was just gonna say when i saw it when i was 16 i said it on our the the our season premiere i suppose this year i knew i'd seen something special and i it still holds up today it doesn't feel an ounce dated and a lot like like all the other sequels the original despite there being a glut of sequels of varying qualities doesn't rob the power away from the original one. Yeah. I, I look, I agree 100%. Number one, my, my number one. So, Rothman, you've got this at number two, but I know you still have a lot of love for it. Yeah. No, I mean, I love this movie. I mean, this is, it's turned the page for all of us, I feel like. I mean, mm-hmm. just exactly what Vanderbilt said. You know, it just felt great to be part of a zeitgeist moment which is something that I think a lot of horror fans that are young today chase, which is why I think a lot of time on Twitter we see about, oh, this is the movie of the moment or this is the thing, but it's, no, no, no. It is so rare to have a movie this ubiquitous and this huge hit like this. I mean, this was like a fucking juggernaut that to be, to know that we were a part of that is something I think I'll never forget. I mean, it's it's like when you hear stories about Star Wars and about the lions going around the block or like, you know, The Exorcist being like the movie that swept America, like this did. But what I think is different about it and what I think is really important to really stress is that this movie wasn't just a, a, a film that swept the, the nation in theaters, it swept it in the living rooms. And like Terminator 2, uh, what five years before it? Five, mm-hmm. yeah, five years before it. It was it was the film that I would constantly see in like living rooms in every demographic, and that's when I knew, even as a kid, that I was like, holy shit! Like this movie, this movie's hit, you know this it's hit a nerve, and I think you know there's a you reverence to it. Something. You started something, and I and I don't know. I, I and I and I, you have to respect that. But for me, it's it's uh. You know, it's lightning in a bottle, whereas I, I think uh, Scream 2 is, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Doc Brown experiment, you know, lightning, like knowing where ri- lightning is going to strike and, and catching it uh, again. The whole storm in the bottle, as we in the thunder sheet at the end with yes. the <laughs> Greek tragedy. When you talk about, like, yeah. everybody had the VHS and it was, what was the, the critic line was like, clever, hip, and scary. Who, who yeah. was it? I remember that vividly. Everybody had that VHS tape. Well, everybody it was like, had that. for me, as someone who grew up with horror, it was... It was cool seeing it kind of transcend just me and my dorky friends to everybody. Everybody yeah, went exactly. and saw that movie. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that I didn't talk about with Stream 2 is in 1997, the internet had been around for a couple of years. Really, it really had been around for a couple of years. People 97 were kind of figuring was a big moment, though. Yeah. So when Laurie Metcalf comes out as the killer and it's, you know, Mrs. Loomis, it's basically a, 
a Mrs. Voorhees situation with all the dressed in white, short black, short brown hair. That to me was like, oh, other people talk about the first Friday Thirteenth movie or reference that. Like that kind of blew my mind too in the moment. I mean, it's just it's hard to explain. And this is this is a positive bit of old man yells like let's say old man embraces cloud of <laughs> of experiencing pop culture when you, I couldn't pull up my phone and find out anything about Pamela Voorhees and if anybody else in the world but like two of my friends and my brothers like this or even know who the hell this is and there was something special about that time what can I say yeah and that's the thing about the first scream film it's it's the everybody's Randy situation where all of a sudden we. I didn't mind that it got popularized because we were sitting here thinking horror is this thing that no one likes. And we, it's just this little tiny group of people and we're all like, you know, obsessed with all these movies, but it's the reason why, you know, when I met Mike in college that we got so tight is just because all of a sudden you find those people. And this was seeing that those people on the big screen uh, and, and being like, Oh wow. Like I felt seen, I felt like Mm. all of a sudden, like, it launched horror into the mainstream again. And I yeah. feel like it was, it was limping along there. And all of a sudden, you know, you just had countless movies after that come out and it was like an event every single time, even if it wasn't good, even if it was like urban legends Two, it was still an event. And a lot of people went and see that. saw that movie in the theaters kind of thing. I sure you know? did. Me too. Kefri, well, did you have a chance to speak your piece about scream? I, I apologize if you have not yet. I think I had, well, yeah, I, I talked about Wes Craven a little bit. Yeah, just, yeah, we did, you did. You know, okay. being a... We'll make sure. Yeah, but yeah, no, I I have nothing else to add. I mean, it was, it was amazing. And the thing I I've, I think I've said several times in the podcast before, the thing that was so cool about this movie to me is that when I first saw it, not that I didn't laugh at it, but I didn't really look at it much as a satire or a comedy or anything. It just functioned as a really good horror movie for me. And then as I got older, obviously, I picked up on more of the meta angles of it mm-hmm. and everything. And it was a movie that I felt like as I got older, I enjoyed it in different ways. And that doesn't always happen with horror movies. A lot of horror movies age and you're like, ah, this is kind of not as good as I remember it being, or it's more shallow than I remember it being. So yeah, it, it was a movie that evolved as I evolved. And that's the goal. Everybody, for everybody to evolve as people, right? Uh, Maestro Mike, Maestro Mike Rothman. Did you want to have a final word before we uh, move on here? Uh, I, I mean, kind of what Max says the the whole idea of of this like popularizing horror i mean just there was a chart that went around a few weeks ago or maybe it was a week ago who knows anymore what the fuck is time but was the chart do you like scream no no thumbs up thumbs down no it was it was uh it was a it was a breakdown of all the genres in hollywood Mm -hmm. and they showed a chart of like the popularity over the last like 60 70 years and um, it showed like westerns in the fifties and sixties being at its peak, and now it's just like dead. And like military movies being at its peak, and then now that's dead. But the, the genre that has steadily climbed and keeps getting bigger and bigger has been horror. And you could see it in the nineties; it just spikes. And I do think that yeah, there's been some lulls, and we've talked about those lulls in a lot of our rental episodes. Which, by the way, you could find by becoming a member of our Patreon, uh, Patreon.com/slash/HalloweenEastPod. But we, I think ultimately it's a genre that it's still riding that pulse that's, or that spike that scream gave, uh, gave the genre. And I think that's one of the, I mean, I think it not only inspired a whole generation of horror fans, I think it just shattered the walls for the genre in a way that maybe it hadn't been shattered since God, even maybe universal monsters. Cause like, I like, I, look, I love, I love how, like, well, actually that's not true because I would think about probably Halloween with like the slasher genre in the eighties and everything yeah. that catapulted and after that. It, it's kind of crazy just how 
it, it, there's a difference though, because even in the eighties, horror felt fringe, right? Like it felt like a, a fringe thing. Like, oh, well, let's go get some popcorn and watch a horror movie. Like whereas with Scream, like I, I really do feel it started the whole lifestyle generation of of horror to be popularized. It's that's always existed, but I, I do like you know there's always been Mark Petries everywhere, but I do think that like Scream made it almost like like in vogue in a in a way that it hadn't ever been before. I mean, maybe I'm that's a too hyperbolic statement, but it just feels no, like it, it became cool. sexy. It became clever yeah. and hip and sexy, as you said. Hey, <laughs> it was Jan Maslin from the New York Times, I believe, that said that. Oh, okay. That was a good, great. Listen, I remembered it 26 years later, so there you go. Okay, well, folks, let me go ahead and tell you officially what the rankings were between the five of us, the average. This is like a one to five, with five being the... the the, the top here. So, uh, Scream Four was collectively our least favorite entry. Scream Three, point two points higher as number four in the Scream franchise, and in a big jump, Scream Five, uh, with showing up at the third uh, on our list here, and then point six higher than that, Scream Two, and a big bump. For the original Scream. So that congratulations for Scream mind. 5 to be the third best, and it came out 26 years That's later. Amazing. Yeah. Good job. Uh, Rothman, is it going to be the same with, because you've seen it, uh, is it going to be the same with the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre? <laughs> is that the big uh, bump? It's been, you know, 50 years. Well, there'll be a bump, all right, but it'll be a bump towards the latter, uh, lower half of uh, the <laughs> franchise. Fall off the ladder? <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, it's, it's kind of, it's staggering to think that in, in 2022, uh, we're still making uh, sequels that are are even more awful than the ones that were we considered the worst of the bunch 20, well, 30 years Rothman, ago. Rothman, I mentioned it's wow. been 50 years, and I will also say 50 years from now, in season 55, we will be covering the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. Uh, well, Keep it yeah, out for that. It's going to be very exciting. We yeah, will well, eventually I, have to do I, it. I, I think we. I, I think I'd prefer continuing to keep him as the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just read. We'll just or, do Friday Thirteenth again. Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. Our Thanksgiving back. tradition. Whoever wasn't on certain episodes they'll, will be on instead. God, it'll be, be our a legacy requel. There'll be a new tier where you know uh, we ask for something impossible, where we yeah. cover that for give us a thousand dollars, and we'll talk about Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. Yeah, what are the no-go franchises for us? Because I feel like Texas is one of them we really want to do. Hellraiser's another one, much to Max Chagrin. Oh, no, I think I don't, Matt, no, 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 no. I would do Texas. I don't know. I don't know. Hellraiser's you know what we do? Caffrey would lead. Caffrey would be the lead host for every episode. Hey, I'm the only one to live there. I'd be. That's true. I'm a Texas expert. That's true. The Texpert, yeah, exactly. We got to get to the killers. Yeah. We sure do. Now, here's what we're going to do for Ghostface, the killers. Like, it's a sequel. We're going to do the exact same thing. We're going to go through and we're going to list, we're all going to go down and, and list our least favorite ghost face. Mm. And once all five of us mention a name, then we will discuss it. And don't worry, once again, I've got the ultimate rankings that will be uh, surprising to some and, and not so surprising to others because that's the way the world works and how numbers work. <laughs> so uh, let's kick things off. Dan Caffrey, how are you? How are you feeling? Good, good. I just had some coffee. Um, I uh, got a little bump of cocaine, much like Henry Hill, and I'm, I'm feeling uh, nice and <laughs> with good it. Good Yeah. Okay, Dan, not to, not, to, not to dampen the mood, but who is your least favorite ghost face? My least favorite ghost face is Roman Bridger from Scream 3. Not to be confused with Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> not to yeah, be confused. Exactly. Two totally different people. Okay. 
Mac, who's your least favorite ghost face? And I'll, I should also preface this. I understand some of the movies, it's very possible that only one person was wearing the ghost face uh, outfit maybe the entire time and, and somebody was the mastermind. But let's just, they're, they're all the ghost face killers here, okay? Let's keep that in mind. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mac, your least favorite ghost face. Gotta be Roman. Now, listeners at home are like, oh, they're going to be talking about Roman any second now. Uh, au contraire. We are not going to be talking about Roman for quite a while. Mm, wow. Caesar. Mike Vanderbilt, I've got, I swear to you, I've only got one question. One question. Who is your least favorite ghost face? The other guy from four. <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> yeah, We're I so guess. on the same sure. page. We're the same fucking person. Culkin. Mike Rothman. Same question. Who's your least favorite ghost face? You know, Charlie may have moved slow, but it was only because Charlie didn't have to move for anybody. It's uh, Charlie Walker, played by Roy Culkin. I think for me, in honor of our first season of Halloweenies, I have got to say it like this. Charlie, Charlie, (laughs) Charlie, Michael Myers is outside. It's Charlie for me. Okay, we can't talk about anybody yet. Exciting. This is exciting stuff. Okay, so let's go to our eighth, I guess, eighth, second least favorite at this point. We can't say our eighth favorite. Second least favorite of the, of the franchise. Dan Caffrey, who is it? Number eight. Mine would be Amber Freeman from Five Cream. Wow. I'll save okay. the specifics. I have my reasons. I, I know that sounds weird because I ranked Five Cream so high, but uh, well, I'll wait that, till we get that's there. That's a good point. That's a good point. Mac, who's number eight for you? This is Loomis. Fascinating. Wow. This what we're wow. talking about here. This what is great. This is, this is, you know what this is? This is great podcasting. This is exciting. You no, know, I agree. Uh, we do have a great podcast here. I have to say. What a, what a right. podcast. Mike Vanderbilt, <laughs> who do you have a number eight? Uh, number eight, uh, Cobb Vanth. You may know him better as Mickey. <laughs> Cobb, Cobb Vanth. <laughs> oh, my God. Great Book of uh, Great Mandalorian poll. And Book of Boba Fett. Fett. Sorry, yeah. I forgot when they reworked the second half of Book, Book, Book of Boba Fett, they included him in there. Was they included a lot was of Mandalorian. That, wait, wait, was that before or after Kathleen Kennedy uh, showed up on set and was like, we should just make Listen, this Mandalorian season Mike, three? Kathleen Kennedy's doing a great job. <laughs> Who is your number Who's your number eight, Mike? Roman Bridger, played by Dawson's Creek star Scott Foley. Well, see, so far, everybody's got a different number eight. How about that? What are the chances of that? <laughs> yeah, pretty good, actually. But I have to bum everybody out because my number eight is Amber from Scream 5. I'll have my reasons for all these later on, I, I promise you. And, they're, and they're, I think it's a sound reason as to why. Okay. Dan Caffrey, I'm, I'm going to pose this question to you. And you're the first person I've asked this to. Who is, your, who is number seven on the Ghostface rankings? Uh, call Troy Evans because my seventh favorite or third least favorite uh, killer of the Scream franchise is Charlie Walker Charlie, from Scream 4. Charlie. Charlie. Love it. That was sidebar, of course. A lot of us here went to go see Halloween, the Halloween, Halloween, Halloween 4, and Halloween 5 in theaters. The classic and we had never marathon. discussed that scene before ever together. But we all started dying laughing when he did the Charlie Charlie line. It was very funny. Okay. Speaking of Charlie Charlie, Mac. I, I, I can't imitate it, but as Chris Sarandon said in Friday Night, Charlie. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. See okay, you. it's time to talk about Charlie. Now listen, don't get me wrong. My dad goes by Charlie. I love my father. 
I don't love the character of Charlie from Scream 4. Mac, what's the story here? Why do you have him at, at number seven? Why is he so low on your list? Uh, he's low on the list. He's just, he's just not very memorable. It's, I just feel like he kind of, and I guess it's just kind of the acting style, but it's just kind of phones it in. Don't, I don't know, but both Charlie and, and Joe, it's, it's just a weird, I can't even pinpoint it. I'm just sitting here looking at this list. I, there's some things that I maybe would have changed, but I, too I, late. It's, I too late. it's too, he's, <laughs> he's just not very memorable. And, 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 and I know you were saying that it matters or doesn't matter who is in the ghost face mask possibly or whatever it is. But I remember he, he, you know, in terms of kills, I feel like he's, he probably had more, most of the kills in that movie. I, I'm like, I'm like reasoning why he's better than Roman and <laughs> this is Loomis, but I can't really pinpoint it to be honest with you. I, I just, in in the terms of the lineup, he's just less than the rest of these. Yeah. I think for me, when it comes to most of these killers on this list, I look at it as, you know, the, the mastermind and the accomplice. And I feel like a lot of times the accomplices just are not going to be ranked as heavily as, or as high as, as, as the yeah. main masterminds. So that's why Charlie's so low for me. It's also kind of a, you know, when the reveal happens, it's like, when I said, I can see that. I get it. You know, it wasn't too much of a shock. I think it also, when it comes to Charlie, but look, I know Dan, you're dying to talk about Charlie. I can see it. In your eyes. <laughs> well, what do you have him at number seven for? You know, I, I don't hate him. I put him above, uh, both Amber and Roman, because I do think he serves, well, not in Amber's case, I think he serves the plot a little bit better than Roman does, and he, he's just not as dweeby as Roman, so I just like watching him more. And honestly, I like Rory. He's a, film, he's a film nerd, you know, that's saying something. Well, yeah, like, well like I we mean, are. when I say dweeby, I mean, maybe nebbish, that's the better no, word for okay, it. Yeah. I, also, I just think Rory Culkin, regardless of whether the role or not is good, I think he's, he's Culkin. He's going to have some weight to him, you know? And I think my issues with him are more about Scream 4 as a movie. Do you know what I mean? It's not sure. like I hate the character. It, it just comes from the script's lack of adding any definition to these characters beyond what came before. Oh, but, I, but I do think he's a good second banana to Jill. Like, I, I, I agree with what you said about the accomplice, and I think that's pretty true for me throughout most of the movies. I like the, main, the, you know, the head honcho better than the accomplice, mm-hmm. but the accomplice is still important, and I do think that's the case here. Like, this movie wouldn't work if you only had Jill as the killer, yeah. and I almost don't think it would work if... The ma- the other killer was as colorful as her, so yeah, for me he's fine. Yeah, I, I don't hate him, don't love him. Kind of in the middle. But I, I you know, the the Rothman, the, the Mikes have Charlie at uh, at number nine. So Rothman, why is he uh, dead last to to stay at the spear of the series? The baby, you know, he just kind of like <laughs> he's a he's just a little baby. Like he's why did you do that? Uh, you know, like he's like I just like, I don't know. He's, he's like he's the mirror lame. on the phone booth. He is. He's like oh. He's like hitting it, you know. I mean, look, Charlie's the type of guy that was going to root for the bad guys in the movies, you know. But uh, I, oh I will say, he didn't, he didn't mind killing. He Hits didn't mind killing Charlie. Uh, but to to piggyback on what Dan says, it's it's exactly that. It's that you know you can't have. Scream is such an anomaly because it's like you have two characters that are so fucking colorful, and they both work for very. They work together because they they bring something different to the table. You can't do that all the time, you know. And as we've seen in a lot of these movies. But with with this one, I, I feel like with Charlie especially, he's so dull and forgettable that it, it, it's you know to play devil's advocate for a second and, and go against my own argument here. 
he is very realistic. Like when you look at like when you have those those duo serial killers, even school shooters, like there's always one guy that's going to do the talking, and there's always one guy that was pulled in and kind of the hapless, you know, side side piece basically. And you know, more often than not, that that that's going to be just the person that is able to break and, and say all the things that happen. And you know, like on paper, when you're solving a crime, that's very great and interesting. But watching it unfold, it's just kind of like a oh yeah, that guy. And like out of every out of all the side pieces in this franchise, Charlie is this the one that just feels so like, Meh. yeah. And and again, it's also because most of the new characters feel exactly that way. Like honestly, you could have just tossed in the boyfriend for all I like. Uh, you know that movie, who's even equally forgettable. I just. I don't know. And it's also this like thing that like Roy Culkin does where he always feel like maybe it's just because I love science so much and I just keep thinking of him in science. But like I, I he just always looks like he's having like an asthma attack or something. So he just always like looks like he's crying. Like there's something about him that, that that drives me nuts. Like I did. I don't know. It's like he is. Just... <laughs> he just doesn't bother me. I don't know. The actor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, well Vera, but you also had Charlie, Charlie, Charlie at number nine. Wait, wait. Um, what were we talking about? Exactly. I figured this is where <laughs> this was going. <laughs> can we move on to our, Wait, our no, next? you know. Anything to say? Or can we move nah, on to your number it. seven? That's all I got to say. All right. Okay. Van Belt, who is your number seven then? My number seven is Mrs. Loomis. Mrs. Loomis has been named twice already on this list. This is very exciting. Mike Rothman, who do you have at number seven? Uh, amber is the color of your energy. And the color of my energy for number seven would be the color Roman. <laughs> Roman at number seven. We can't talk about Roman yet. Absolutely not. I will not hear of it. We need Moving to talk on. about Kevin, though. Well, we need to talk about <laughs> Kevin. I mean, uh, number six. Wait, not number six. What number? Uh, yeah. No, onto my yeah. We're sorry. We're uh, yeah. Yeah, we're at number six. Okay, my uh, Dan. Sorry, Dan. Number uh, six. My number six is. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember his weird Star Wars name. Is uh, Mickey Altieri? Was hmm. it Bone Wrath or something like that? Don Wrath, Boone Fomp, like Bog Bog Camp or something. It's Cobb Vanth. Cobb, Cobb Vanth. Vanth. Sounds like a fucking Boone salad. Um, I heard he lives. Vanth. Mac, who do you have at number uh, six here? It's Mickey Blue Eyes. <laughs> Cobb Vanth himself. <laughs> Love Mickey Blue Eyes. Uh, Vanth himself. Uh, okay. I think Dan and I are on the same trajectory a little bit here. I know. Yeah, for real. This is cool. Vanderbilt, what do you got? Uh, that smoking hot amber. Color of your energy. Literally smoking at the end of the film. Yeah, she literally yeah that is, is smoking. true. Yeah. <laughs> literally smoking at the end of two films. Rothman, what do you got? Number six. Is, is he, around these parts, you might say I'm justified in calling him. Ah. Um, Cobb Vanth. Hmm. <laughs> Well, I've always said you were never dead wood, and I've got Mickey at number yeah. six. Let's talk about Mickey. Here's this right. kind of goes back to my argument earlier about how the sidekick gets hurt, especially if the sidekick is in a is in a movie with a superior ghost face. And look, I've been going to bat from my boy Timothy Oliphant for over twenty five years now. Love him in this Deadwood, Justified, Go, Girl Next Door, Cobb Vanth. From the Mandalorian, he was really good on a really bad season of Fargo. For God's sakes, I love I love Oliphant, but uh, for me, I love I obviously love Scream too. This rang a little bit too much. It skewed a little bit. It's one might say it's stewed too far <laughs> in the direction of Stew from 1996's Scream. 
uh, in a way that I felt the comparison was 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 too close in terms of the, the wackiness. I feel like a a bit of a pale imitation, and uh, that sounds harsh. But again, I, I love you. I love you, Tim. I'd love to have you on the podcast anytime to talk about uh, the crazies, which I think is a better uh, movie than the original. There's another compliment for Tim. That's the a elephant. good picture. I like that one. Yeah. Well, good that, one, right? Okay. I, uh, so, Caffrey, you've got uh, Mickey at the same area here. Yeah. So I should say, honestly, for Mickey up, so number six up for me, that's like the killers I, I really like in the franchise. So I, so I don't. I think he's great in this. I think he does just what he needs to do for this role of kind of the obsessive Quentin Tarantino film nerd. That being said, I don't think the script does him justice with his film knowledge because his where <laughs> I'm gonna sound like such a snob, but like he's supposed to be this movie like this film buff, right? And actually don't the stuff he spouts off, it's like so he's like talking about like aliens and Terminator two. And even I don't know why I hate this part where uh they're at the table and Jerry O'Connell starts doing the song and then Timmy and they're like, Whoa, what's he doing? And Timmy the Alphonse Top Gun, and then he, he says one of the years the movie came out. I'm like, yeah, he's doing a really famous scene from Top Gun. And like he, the way he's what, what, what year did Top Gun come out? Like eighty six. Eighty six. See, he goes Top Gun, nineteen eighty six. Like he's figuring <laughs> out in his head. It's so silly to me. Um, Maverick. And, and, he, and he he gets a little annoying to listen to because he's ranting so much in the end. That being said, I mean, this is my favorite screen movie. He is the second banana. I believe that every movie needs a second banana, and I think the movie is sort of self-aware of how annoying he is by how miss mrs loomis dispatches him and is like oh yeah he was she she dismisses him which i think goes a long way for me still making me like mickey because like if the other killer's dismissing him then we're also supposed to know okay yeah he was the kind of lame killer who was the pawn and that's fine with me and like i said i do love oliphant's performance but the the top gun his top gun like quip is just (laughs) really really funny to me mac you you also have four of us have mickey here at number six so why is he at number six for you yeah, I, I kind of agree with Dan. It's it's a little bit from here on out, but it's kind of the casting uh, Jack Nicholson in, in The Shining, where it's like <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you know he's probably the bad guy. Like, I, and I you, you call I, for me, I felt like I called that he was going to be one of the killers, and then he was. So it wasn't really an exciting reveal for me mm, yeah. at the end of the movie. You know, I mean, I love Oliphant, but in terms of the reveal, who they were, how much they were in the film. I, I just feel like it, it, yeah, I kind of pegged that earlier on and I don't know. It just, I, I didn't buy, I didn't buy their partnership. And I think that's why they were both so low for me. I, I just did not buy that partnership. Well, I got good news for you. I just got the, I just got the release. Uh, Disney plus is going to be having a prequel series uh, about, it's called a, uh, when Mickey met Mrs. Loomis. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, oh. Fall of 2023. It's going to be in production. I actually have a line. I have, I have a line from that. It's interesting that I got that press release too. And it came out with some, some cool uh, scripting. They don't really usually do this with like new releases, but uh, hey, yeah, the script seems like, like a really weird thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well it begins with this, it, you know, Mrs. Loomis cuts to Mrs. Loomis, Mrs. Loomis talking. Uh, now I've got Mickey as a partner. Any problems? I go to Mickey trouble with the bill. I can go to Mickey, trouble with the cops, deliveries. I can go and call Mickey. But now I got to come up with Mickey's money every week, no matter what. Business is bad? Fuck you. Pay me, Mrs. Loomis. Oh, you had a fire? Fuck you. Pay me, Mrs. Loomis. Place got hit by lightning, huh? Fuck you. Pay me, Mrs. Loomis. So I I don't know. I I think 
I think Mickey holds his own ground based on that script from from Disney Plus. I mean, it seems like he really kind of you know put his his uh, his the strong foot forward. Disney uh, Plus mean, recycling old footage and film scripts from Goodfellas. Yes, it's, yes, it's great. You know, they all they have that, that. By then, they'll probably own the you know whoever owned Goodfellas at that point. They own Scorsese. I. I agree with what everyone's been saying here. I, I, I think the, the Shining Cop is really good, Mac, because I, 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 that's so dead on. But here's the thing. You could say the same thing about Billy and Stu with the first one. And that's kind of what I would almost kind of hold against them. But it, it works in that, that sense. So you kind of almost have to twist it. I don't know. The thing I, the thing I, I mark against Mickey is, is someone said scripting issues. And I do think that's a big problem with it is that he vanishes like halfway through, like you get to that, that Top Gun moment. And then he goes into, you know, all you see after that is like him talking to Sid in the, in the, the waiting room, which is a great scene, especially in hindsight. But after that, it's like done. Like I kind of needed one more, which I, I, I honestly wish that, isn't there like a deleted scene where he gets like hazed or something like that? Originally, like uh, I, I, the research has been so long since we did Scream Two, but I want to say that there's a there's a scene where he gets like hazed at a party or some shit like that, and that that and then that becomes more of like a, a surprise at the end. But I don't know. I still like Mickey because you need someone to have that dialogue, and you both have like two fucking crazy psychopaths that are on stage at the end, and it's and it's scary. Again, it goes right back to what I was saying before, like the stakes, like the stakes are high because I don't yeah. trust any of them. But to your point, Mike, the the. The obviousness that Stu and or Billy are the killers in the first one, it's so blatant you dismiss it. You can't do the same trick in the sequel. And that's why I feel like that fell flat for me. Especially so soon after the original. So Yeah. Yeah. Vanderbilt, why don't you think Mickey is so fine? I just don't buy Mrs. Loomis recruiting someone. Uh, A big problem I have with Scream 2, obviously, is the killer's reveal doesn't do anything for me because of that script leak. So it doesn't really add up for me. And I think Mm. with the two killer thing being relatively innovative and definitely, I think a big part of why screen, the original screen works, maybe scream two would have just worked better if there was only one killer. Mm. It's not Mm. a bad point. It's not a bad point. Cause again, now you're looking at the formula. It's the surprise. It's in place, you know, I hear you on that, on that front. Okay. We're going to get, Top five time. Chris Rock style, top five. Okay. I like so, that movie. You know, I never saw it. Pretty good. Top five? Yeah, for maybe for that year. All right. God. Thank you. Number five, Dan Caffrey. Who you got? Uh, number five, I have Jill Roberts, Scream 4. All right. Jill, Jill Roberts, 86. Uh, <laughs> top <Sorry. gun>. Scream <laughs> 4, 2014. <laughs> um, Mac. Number I five. think there's a I think there's an echo in this haunted house. Mm. Jill Roberts. Jill Roberts. And Mac Mac and I are teamed up just like the killers. This is pretty close, except for the only thing you've difference here is your Amber and Mrs. Loomis are violently opposed here. Oh, 2011. Don't worry. Sorry, when, I said when the reveal is that Dan and I are the killers, I'll get really zany. Don't worry. Yeah, I'll uh, shoot you. <laughs> okay. Vanderbilt, you got number five. I got Richie Kirsch. Richie Kirsch. Not to be confused with uh, Mrs. Kirsch from one of the great movies at Chapter 2. Rothman, who do you got at number five? Uh, there's a party going on at Stu Mocker's house. Stu at number five. Wow. There's a party going on. All right. <laughs> I have got to tell you, 
we talked about Culkin earlier, um, and his brother Macaulay Culkin uh, played this namesake in the mid nineteen nineties. What's the movie? Richie Rich. Richie coming in at number five <laughs> for me. So once again, nobody to talk about yet. I'm gonna move on to our number four. Ghostfaces. Dan Caffrey, who do you have? Number four, I have Debbie Salt, aka Better known as Better known as Better known as Mrs. Loomis. Matt Gerber. My number four is Richie. Mike Vanderbilt. Uh, number four, Jill Roberts. Michael, who's your number four? Uh, well, we've we've seen Sam Loomis from Psycho. Mm. We've seen Doctor Sam Loomis <laughs> from Halloween. But this tells us we met finally, Mrs. Loomis, uh, played by Laurie Metcalf of uh, Lady Bird fame. That's right. She would, she would be in Lady Bird. <laughs> Retroactively. Uh, roughly 22 <laughs> yeah. years later. 20, 20 years, years later. I think, because it's 2017, I think. It was called uh, LB20, 20 years yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And for me, let's talk about Lady Bird's mom, Mrs. Loomis. I think I kind of spoiled this earlier. I just think that the thrill of of seeing, well, first of all, I did not expect this to happen. A hundred percent. At yes. all. No. So that was yeah. a startling moment, especially compared to the Mickey reveal, which might have been deliberate, honestly. Maybe that was a deliberate choice to have, oh, it's Mickey, of course. And, and then, this is Loomis? Exactly. Very Scooby-Doo-ish, you know? Yeah. Left hook. Laurie Metcalf is always great. I, I think that she gives a really fun performance in this. It kind of balances it out with the whole Mickey reveal. And like I said, just watching some theaters thinking, oh, this is absolutely an homage to Mrs. Voorhees, the, the, at the time, I thought, a very uh, underrated killer in an underrated movie, Friday the 13th. I, I loved the whole reveal, and, and I had a great time with it. And how about those Loomis people are nuts? You know, between her <laughs> and her crazy. son? It, it, I like that it yeah. is a nod to her, because that's the first, not the first, very first, but it's in that first, the first scene of the first scream, right? Uh-huh. I mean, that's yeah. the... Which Jason, is a nice Jason. Alive. Yeah, and I think we say Justin too about her balance. I it's funny because I feel like now this reveal wouldn't be much of a reveal, right? Like I don't think it would work in twenty twenty two. We've seen movies with too many twists and turns, but this was such a big fucking deal back then. Like I, I did not see it coming, and I like what you said, Justin, about her. You know, using that uh, that Steppenwolf training to to really give a realistic <laughs> version of of crazy. Um, I believe her through and through in this movie. Um, yeah, and like I said, I'm, I'm at the I'm at the era, or I'm in the upper echelon of killers for myself. I mean, from six on up, it's all gravy for me. So uh, now, I love Mrs. But, Lewis. But Mac, you have a she's the penultimate. Is that the right word? Penultimate yeah. last penultimate loser. I. It was surprising to me, the reveal, but I didn't like it. I, I don't know why initially, but it is one of those things where it, it, it this movie is the beginning of all of the villains in the final act, in the reveal, acting the same way. And I didn't, I never liked that across the board. I don't like how all of a sudden they're really heightened, da, 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 but they're so patient and and coordinated and and and, and all the kills and everything. And, but but this is where they like lose it, and, I, and for all of them, <laughs> for all of the villains, I just I just never liked that. And because this is the first, it just put a bad taste in my mouth. And I think I agree with Vanderbilt. I think if Mrs. Loomis was the singular villain in this one, and there wasn't another person, I would buy that maybe more. 
being so unhinged at the loss of her son and, you know, her, her husband, you know, uh, with cheek and all that stuff. Like I, I, I would buy that going to the links of having to coordinate with another person. At some point, I feel like, uh, she would have come out of it and been like, eh, I don't know what am I, what am I doing here? <laughs> like when you have to actually coordinate with someone else and really talk about these things, out like loud, starting a podcast. I just feel like part of me feels like she wouldn't, I don't know. She would have gone through with everything. You know what I mean? When you're like, you're like, well, this is getting, this guy's crazy. Like, like this is getting out of hand. Like, She's I don't know. Crazy. I don't know. It just, it seemed a little, it, I, I, I didn't buy it. So yeah, that's, that's that's just why she's so low for me. So, Vanderbilt, you also had had her pretty low as well. Yeah, I I just don't buy that Sid wouldn't have seen her around campus and recognized her. I, it's such a stretch. Hey, it's for it's me. amazing what uh what she said like twenty pounds and yeah, oh, plastic yeah, surgery. No, and hair that's dealing. not true. That's not true. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but Gail, to, to the, fair, the investigative reporter that talks to her multiple times, <laughs> hey, it's just couldn't tell. Yeah, still I, couldn't tell. It, it, she it, didn't it, talk to her. Oh, she talked to yeah. He, she, she talked does. to Gail. You're right, Gail. Yeah, yeah. And, right, and listen, just as there is a deleted scene. To be fair, there's a deleted scene where they do bump into each other, but she, uh, but uh, Mrs. Loomis is wearing uh, Groucho glasses and a mustache. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, to be fair, they did have a bump in scene, but obviously she was hidden pretty well. Okay, Mrs. Loomis, we hardly knew you before you got your head blown off. It is time to talk about top three. How about that? How about that? Top three time, Dan Caffrey. Who do you have at number three? Man, yeah, I, I actually wanted to put him higher, but there's no way I could, given the final two who are left for me. Um, it's Richie Kirsch from Five Cream. Uh, right. I'll wait till we talk about him. Yeah. We'll wait. But it is time to talk about this next person here. Mac, who do you have at number three? I don't know if this is a hot take, but Amber, and I'll tell you why. I didn't... Even though it was, again, it was that thing where it was like, when they first introduced her, you're kind of like, oh, well, she's kind of like the, the, the Rory, the, she, not the Rory, the Charlie Walker <laughs> of the group, probably the killer. Ooh. But then they do a good job of kind of misleading you with that. And I think because when you find out that she is the killer, when you go back and I, when I watched her the second time, knowing that she's the one that's torturing Jenna Ortega in that opening sequence and re- really violently, all of her kills are really violent and she gets to kill Dewey. I just feel like, and I love those scenes and I love Ghostface in those scenes and that's Amber. I, I, I forgive the zaniness at the end because that's something I had to get comfortable with over four movies. And I just felt like that was so calculated and cold. And I love that scene in the basement when she's talking to, uh, the Meeks Martin <laughs> about, you know, and, and you don't, you still don't know which one, which one it is. I, I, I just felt like it was, it was concealed better. And the intensity of those kills and those murders really, even though, you know, Jen doesn't get killed, but uh, I, I don't know. It just rang true to me and was more memorable than a lot of the other folks that I have on my list. What you're saying it, it, for me it makes 100 percent sense why you would have her so high because you're thinking about the kills throughout the thing. I think for me when I'm thinking about yeah. like the, the ghost face, I'm thinking about like the end of the movie and the reveal. That's how I. That's how, like my rankings personally work. I think that's why I have her so low because for me it feels like once she reveals herself, she's it just feels like she's dead like a second later, kind of like Charlie. I don't really remember her much in the finale 
Of course, uh, see, she does I, get caught I on do. fire I and everything know. else too. And but I still, I don't, uh, I don't really think of her in the finale. I think more about about Richie. I think that's why I have Richie uh, higher, not a whole lot higher. I don't believe, but that's why I've got her, Richie ranked higher. But mm. uh, Dan, you have Amber fairly low, actually. I think you had her just as low as I did. Uh, so what? Uh, what gives, bro? Yeah, yeah, no, it's for everything you said, especially out of that group of friends. Honestly, if it weren't for her being one of the killers at the end, I wouldn't remember much about her. I'd put her in the same category as Liv, who they're like kind of the two characters from that friend group who are the only ones who aren't super memorable for me. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the same thing as with Rory Culkin. I think, honestly, for me, the only thing that defines her for me is that she is one of the killers. I like that basement scene, but I couldn't really tell you much about her leading up to that. I do like Mikey Madison a lot. Um, I really like her. She plays Susan Atkins, right, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where she gets cooked. Yes. Yeah. And I do think she gets to shine in that she handles that material well. But once again, I almost feel like that's, I remember her for reasons that have to do with plot, not for the actual character, if that makes sense. I just want a little bit more out of her as a as a killer in the Scream movies, even though she is the second banana, which is fine. And, and like I said, Scream 5 is one of my favorites, and I I think we need that second banana, but I do think it's possible to make the, the, the henchman or the assistant a little bit more interesting, um, as you see in Scream 1 with Stu. Yeah, and, and Vanderbilt, I remember, I, I didn't recognize her, but you recognized her right away Indeed. as being in Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood, which you proclaimed after the movie had ended. So uh, why do you have her kind of in the back half of the Ghostface Killers? He's underdeveloped, yeah. I think. Uh, you don't get to see her. I mean, although, and I picked her out easily as one of the killers, but there's not much of a surprise there. But I like her. No, you, halfway through the movie, you leaned over and said she's definitely not the killer. I remember bullshit. you saying that. I don't, bullshit, Justin. I don't talk during movies. I, 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 I kind of remember that, talk. too. I don't talk during the movies. You know that. Bullshit. I know. Uh, Rothman, anything in defense or in uh, any accusatory things you like to say? About accusatory. Her? Yeah. Well, accusatory. She, she always looks like she has an asthma attack also. No, I'm just joking. Um, I... <laughs> No, I mean, look, she's she's free. I mean, she's kind of forgettable for me. I, I I think that she was easily picked out too. I mean, seeing it a second time and sitting in a Sammy, Sammy, maybe because she, she watches and listens to so much true crime, she like literally leaned in with like the first scene with with Amber, and she was like, "Oh, that's her. She's gonna be the killer." Like, and then watching it again and and kind of seeing some of the stuff, I'm like. Wow, they do kind of like put it in your face a little bit because she's like so like overtly defensive about things, and most of the there's a menace to her that kind of leaks out in ways that are a little too Billy Loomis without the sort of tongue in cheek and mm. sexiness of it. I, I mean, I think she's great in being the sort of crazy killer because like out of out of all the killers that I would you know want to have to go against, like I probably wouldn't want to go against Amber. She seems pretty quick witted in terms of like, boom, I'm going to go and shoot you, even though she's ultimately subdued fairly by Gail and in, in, in Sydney. But I, I think honestly, like the fact that like, she like blows the guy's brain, uh, the, the girl's brains out really fast and the way that she's just so like vitriolic, it, like there's so much rage to her is scary to me. I, I think if, if in those situations, like that would be, it would be unnerving to, to watch I wanted to say one more thing about I understand that we're talking about a lot of a lot of the problems people have is is with Amber as the character Amber and not Ghostface. But for me, watching the movie the second time and really watching the Ghostface sequences going, okay, I know who this is now. Also, it's it 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 just 
there's a performance going on there that you don't normally see in the other movies. I mean, you even get Ghostface talking as Ghostface on screen yeah. in the mm-hmm. Ghostface mask, which that's not normal. Usually it's only on the phone, you know what I mean? Usually they're just completely silent and and obviously they have they have the modulator or whatever, but like I just the, the gravity of some of those sequences I just I don't know, I just pushed it up a notch for me, so. That makes sense yeah. to me. Okay. Everybody had their say on Amber? Time to move on to Mike Vanderbilt and talk about him. Who is it? Number three for you. Roman from Screen Roman. 3. Have you ever heard of Screen oh, 3? You put Roman I, oh, in I, 3? Talk, I was I on the episode. I was on the episode. All right, I got to hear this one. <laughs> so Vanderbilt, once again, <laughs> it comes to Scream 3, the floor is yours. <laughs> Just, I, it's so, like I said, it's so far-fetched. And as much as I, the problem I have with 2 is, the, I think it's too far-fetched that the mother recruits this guy off the internet. And then they go, in. at that point, all bets are off. You can do whatever you want by 3. And 3 is essentially, like I said, taking the piss out of the Star Wars trilogy. So you need to have that long lost relative come back out of nowhere. And it's it's ridiculous. It's over the top. It's obnoxious. It works. And having him write the stab movies, even, it just ties it up real nicely. I I, ha- I think I actually have him at number six. He's not dead last for me by any means, but so let's hear the I want to hear from the dead last people. Uh Mac, you, you have Roman at, at number nine. On your list, so dumb. why is he so low for you? This is dumb, <laughs> dumb <laughs> reveal, dumb character. Yeah, dumb. I mean, and again, it's like the think about it, Sydney. Like the, it's just like the relationship <laughs> thing of it being like the brother that she never knew. Like, ah, just uh, not much to say about, just, about to me. It just yeah, it just it just failed. It just. I just didn't. I I just thought it was such a stretch, and I was like, "Oh, it does it have to always be someone like related or something?" Like, I, I don't know. At that point, like, I just was like, "We're now we're re- we're reaching so far. We had to create this whole weird <laughs> flashback storyline to, to shoehorn in this villain at the end. Who's and I just and I look. I like I like that actor a lot. Love him on Felicity. Just not very scary at all. When 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 you're revealed as the person, I. I just I didn't feel like he was uh, like unhinged. I just I didn't quite buy it. So it was kind of an amalgamation of things for me. Yeah, Dan, you have him at the end. Does he also reference old, old uh, action Tony Scott movies, or what's the story? <laughs> no, what it is for me for him really is that I never remember what his deal is or what he's like or how he's tied to it until I start rewatching Scream Three again. And then once I rewatch it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is sort of interesting and different. But then I always forget it again. It's kind of like the. Uh, how Halloween Five is for you guys? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, oh, I'm so bad about this. I guess it's the reverse of that in a way. Um, so yeah, it's it's weird because in a in a way his role and his backstory and everything is a lot more detailed and interesting than a couple of the people I have above him. But yeah, I just have to go with my gut instinct. I, I don't know. Sometimes a, a, a barometer I use is okay. Do I remember this? Is this memorable? And I know that's <laughs> such a basic thing, but it's true. Like every, I never remember what he is or who he does, until, or even that he's a killer until I turn on Scream Three again. I'm like, oh yeah, this fucking guy. So, it's like it's like yeah, Memento with it. you. You've got his name tattooed on your arm. To remember, yeah, Roman, Roman, the remember Roman Bridger. Remember <laughs> he's, Roman. He's a bad. He's a bad man. Or don't trust him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me. I, I think I have, I've got him above Amber and Charlie, but once again, I think it's because he still does ultimately have more to do than Amber and Charlie do, I believe, in their finales. Roman is the color of your energy. Roman is the color of my energy, as I stated, yes. So, I mean, that's low-hanging fruit, I guess, at that point. But, uh, Mac, I think you made a good point. 
when all these killers are revealed, or at least most of them, there is a bit of still a bit of fear going on. Like you're still in, in fear for the lives of, of the rest of the cast. But once Roman is revealed, that's a great point you made. Is I'm not really afraid of yeah, Roman. You I'm know, Sydney's going to whoop out. his ass. Yeah, yeah. You're I, just kind of like I'm about oh, ready to kick some ass myself. You know, like what's your story? And then when he tells it, you're like, oh, this is just kind of lame. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so Mike, what's what's your reason for having Roman Solo on your list at number eight? Uh, yeah, I mean, for all the reasons here, I also think it doesn't help that he's part of the most neutered scream movie. You know, so a yeah. lot of his kills are sort of like bloodless. I don't know. Yeah, they're bloodless. They're yeah. not really interesting. I mean, look, even what happens with the greatest character, Parker Posey, like her death sucks. And yeah. and, and, and like one person like is like literally killed like a Scooby Doo s- sequence where it's like they pull the rug and he like I mean he gets his his neck hurt and stuff. It's just ridiculous. Like I I don't know. Like he doesn't. There's not a lot of menace to him, and. I think yeah. there's some pathos because I actually don't mind the backstory as much. Like I, I think they have to like, you know, reach around and stuff like that. And it's, it's kind of pointless. I mean, go listen to screen three. I, I literally rewrote an ending and they're using right. a lot of the pieces in there that I think would work much better, but you know, it, at least it has some sort of like oomph a little bit. I mean, I, I can't say the same with Charlie Walker, which is why I, I put Charlie at last, but I mean, uh, ultimately yeah. like Roman is a disappointment because it's like, we didn't need to do the family thing. And Honestly, like, yeah, I think it's the best is that, Mac, what you said. Like, when he is revealed, it is kind of like, oh, the guy from Felicity. Like, well, who it, cares? You're so, almost like, like it's supposed also the to villain, be... the villainous football player from Dawson's Creek, too. I mean. Oh, that is true, but, yeah. But you're yeah. also <laughs> thinking, like, it's supposed to, there's supposed to be a weight there that now that she knows it's her brother, but she never well, knew she him. So it's not, it's yeah. not like there's no weight, you know what I mean? Like, to her, well, you know? Nah, like, there's Mac, like, I'm just going to kill this guy. On, me... Mac, the transition is unbelievable. No, because I want to add one more thing. Oh, good. He's the only scream killer that does it all by himself. True. That's true, and that's why I've got him ranked a, a little ahead of Charlie Ambrose. Just that he's for me. Like, get, that's also why I have Scream Three at the worst yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah, it's also why I don't know if I buy it because, like, there's I don't know if he could do a lot of those things just alone. I, I, it, it seems like a stretch, but uh, I don't know. What I, I don't know. Well, he's making a movie. Rothman here. <laughs> Rothman, who is your number three? Speaking of family members. You can't have Jack without Jill, and uh, I like Jill Roberts, uh, or not Jill Roberts, Jill, uh, played by Emma Roberts. So, uh. well, let's talk about Jill because Jill is also my number three, and honestly, I debated with having her possibly a number two. I think with this reveal, this was a shocking reveal for me because you spend so much time with her throughout the entire movie. She's not a forgotten character like Mickey or Amber or somebody else who's kind of always in the periphery. Or is definitely supporting other actors in the scene. More often than not, she is the lead of every scene she's in, and she's positioned to kind of be, forgive me for saying this, like the new Loomis. You know, she's the new Sydney. You think that's the case. And it's, in terms of her performance, Emma Roberts is just known for like her Nickelodeon show. She was like kind of like a teen actor, a kid actor. And I think the finale with her throwing herself against the mirror and throwing herself into the coffee table and her attitude, I think she does a great job in this. Really, really good. And in many ways, for me, salvages the movie. So that's why I've got her so high at number three. Mac, you want to say something? Well, yeah, I had her clocked in at number five, but it's because, like we just said, I I, I don't know when they first reveal her, I, I... found it hard to believe because she's just so tiny, you know, <laughs> it's just like, I don't know if you're throwing people out windows and stuff like that, but that could have been when Charlie, she starts, know. when she starts to really hurt herself and it goes on and on and on, you're like, 
Okay, I buy now that you are this unhinged that we have been able to deceive everybody. You got cut by Charlie earlier. You know, like there were there were mislead, purposeful misleads. That that's intelligent. That's smart. And in the mastermind of it all, I think that Jill is a re, was one of the best masterminds of of it in that sense to manipulate Charlie into doing a lot of the the heavy lifting or whatever. But I I, I did like that. I don't know. I think she's mid-tier for me just because of, unfortunately, like where they were trying to take that franchise doesn't, and her character. I don't know if that would have worked, but I bought, it was intense. I thought she was unhinged enough where I was worried about her actually hurting people in that sequence. Yeah, and, and Mike, I know you, Stream 4 is ultimately your least favorite stream, but you do have Jill at, at number three on your list too. So uh, why do you have her so high? I think she's uh, she's the ticket. She's the reason why anyone would need to watch Scream Four <laughs> because yeah, she's yeah. the most entertaining part. I mean, she's great. Like it's the, what she represents at the end is uh, all the themes come together. I love the sort of uh, yeah, as you just mentioned, like the the self mutilation scene is just phenomenal. It never gets too funny. Like that could have been just like something out of like a I don't know like a fucking j-roach like hot rod. or something or a hot rod yeah like i mean i, I just think it just never becomes that it, it's still kind of like god this is just a spectacle to watch and kind of what vanderbilt says i do wish that it ended with the cliffhanger with her granted we were never i i don't like the i don't want that trilogy uh at this point now that we got five cream so i'm actually yeah. glad but i do think the ballsiness of having that ending was i remember at the time being disappointed they didn't go there because I think, like, yeah, I love that end, that that quote of like, don't fuck with the original ones. But I do love the ballsiness of like, yeah, well, it's Scream Four, and your story's over, and here goes mine. And we're, we're part <laughs> yeah, of this. Right. We're part of this era of just like me, 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 me. I'm fucking. The whole world revolves around me because I'm a bunch of fucking entitled assholes and yada yada yada, which is all we live in now and in this world. And it would have been true. So for her, Jill just seems like the most realistic killer. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the only reason to watch, uh, only reason to watch scream for him. Sorry, Kirby. Um, <laughs> Vanderbilt, you, you have her, uh, pretty high too for, for not being a big fan of, of scream Four. you've got, you've got number four, you know, where scream four kind of falters in taking the piss out of where horror is and where Hollywood is at that point. It, the making it about a wannabe influencer, I thought was pretty sharp. And, yeah. and again, like to, I think it was Mac that said it, it's truly shocking. Or was it you, Justin? I, it's truly shocking. Oh, it was me. I think it was me. <laughs> it was definitely me. I think it was definitely me. It, it's truly shocking because <laughs> for all the reasons you said, uh, when it's revealed a sort of killer, because you, and like Mac said about other ones, you say, Oh, you put it away. Like, of course they're not, she's never going to be the killer. So then when it actually happens, it's impressive. Yeah. And Caffrey, you also, I think, in terms of all of our top fives, only three people are in our all of our top fives, and I'm so I was I was personally surprised. I thought I would be the only person that had Jill high, uh, but Caffrey, you also have her in your in your top yeah. five. Why is she in yeah, your like top? Yeah, like I five? said, once it gets to the top six for me, I mean they're all killers I like. Um, everything y'all have said, and just she's the only killer where I feel like you learn more about her gradually. Like I, she's a good lead and everything, but. At, it, she gets deepened by being the killer rather than just oh surprise surprise right like it kind of changes her whole game when you find out that someone like yeah. mickey is the killer you're like oh yeah that makes sense and that's 
it's a twist, right? It's once again, it's more tied to plot. Whereas hers is actually tied to character. I think when you, we get that reveal, it just, it changes the game of the entire movie and, mm-hmm. and what it's saying. And I just think she gives a, uh, no pun intended killer performance too. And uh, she shoots that guy in the balls too. It's just like, yeah, she, yeah, she's really, really vicious. It's, I mean, uh, I, I, yeah. she might be the scariest killer for me of the whole franchise, even though she's not like my number one, as far as like actually scaring me, I think she's, she takes the cake for me. So yeah, I'm a big mm. fan of Jill. She seems the most like it, it wouldn't be fair to say unhinged because she feels like she's almost the most controlled of yeah, all she's of very them composed. in a way, you know, I think she's, but yeah, I think she gives a, and it's not, it's not only just that because there's so many movies where you'll watch it and you'll be shocked, but then, you know, diminishing returns when you rewatch, I think she's, I've seen this movie a few times. I think she's, it's, she's always great in that last 30 minutes, especially when she reveals mm. herself to be the killer or one of the killers. Okay, well, it's time to get to our, our top two, and we've got three people still to talk about. Dan, who is second for you? Second for me is William Loomis, or Billy Loomis. They never say if his name is short for William. I'm going to have Loomis. to hope it's short for William. <laughs> yeah. And how about you, Mackenzie? Who's your second favorite? My second favorite is... Stu Mocker. Not to be confused with Joel Schumacher. Hey. Mike Vanderbilt, who do you have coming at number two? It's Stu. It's Stu. It's, it's Stu. It's All Stu. of you stand fans out there. <laughs> it's Snoke. The baby six, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> it was Snoke. It's not soup, it's Stu. Okay. For all of you wondering what the hell we're talking, we're talking about the 1994 ABC miniseries *The Stand*, in which the Stephen Stand? King's character finds <laughs> Stu. And guess who? Guess who Stephen King's character is talking to? What actor that is in that scene? It's Stu. Mike Lookinland who plays Bobby from *The Brady Bunch*, who was a Not camera Billy, operator huh? on *The Stand*. Fun fact for everybody out there: while we get the rankings here, okay. Vanderbilt, you said Stu, right? I did. Well. Let's talk about this next person, Mike Rothman. Who's your number two? Uh, well, uh, my favorite member of the Losers Club, uh, Richie, uh, as in Richie Kirsch. Richie Kirsch. Yeah. Uh, Richie Tozier. Uh, Richie, not Richie Tozier. Uh, no, but uh, let's talk about Jack Kirby. Let's talk, you know, let's talk about Jack yeah. Kirby. No. Okay, so you've got Richie at number two, which is higher than, than all of us here. So why, why do you have him so high up on the oh, list? Oh, I just, I just absolutely love him. I mean, I, I, I'm biased because I love the boys, and I love him in the boys. I, I think Jack Kirby is just such a great... I always say the the Elliot Page character from Inception, where you just need someone to be a conduit into the world, right? Well, Jack Kirby in that movie is just, or in The Boys is fucking great, and it's because he has a cadence about him. He's he's likable. He's he's believable, and he's not too precious, and he's not too annoying. He's just right there. He's he's, he's the Goldilocks of white males in movies, uh, in movies and TV, and. For me, I, I mean, I talked about this in a fucking episode. Like, I was disappointed he was the killer because I wanted him to be, a, you know, a recurring character. I just, I thought he was really funny and I thought he was so lovable. And and for me, it did this, the thing that didn't really happen with Billy where, like, you know, he, when it is revealed, like, that Billy is the killer in Scream, I was like, oh, yeah, no shit. I thought that already when even before you did the, the fake out. With him, I was so disappointed. Like that's why I kind of love what his line where he's just like, "Oh, I know it's a bummer." It's like, "Yeah, it is a bummer." I fucking love this guy, and then he owns it. Like I fucking love like his delivery, his the the way that he kind of turns the dial a little bit or flips the script for himself at the end. It's great, and like 
honestly, like I do think Jack Kirby is one of the really big reasons why I, I, I like Five Cream a lot. So I'm interested to see how the sequel goes. Maybe he could come back as a Force Ghost or something. Was well, Jack Kirby's name in the boys? Oh no! Is it Jack? What's his last name? Jack Quaid. Jack Quaid. I thought you were making a Jack Kirby reference to like the Marvel <laughs> artist. No, no, I no, so no. I, Yeah, sorry, I messed up. No, it's Jack. That's Quaid. right. No, because yeah, no, 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 no. Quaid. Even, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Vanderbilt also. You did not know that he was a Quaid, right, Vanderbilt? When you no, saw, I kept watching the movie and saying this motherfucker looks familiar to me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh, I just realized I sound like a moron for the last three minutes. But uh, I think the reason, you know, why I've got Richie at number f- at number five, and I think he's really good in this movie as well. I think I've got him at number five because I think he's overshadowed by another killer, and that's in that last sequence, and that's uh, Sam, Sam Loomis, Samantha Loomis. Yeah, I think that when she kill when she goes off and kills him, that that to me is what is the standout scene in the in the big finale. So, oh, totally. I think that's why it's it's not necessarily a ding. It's just a. An, Maybe on, on my part, an unfair overshadowing for in, de, in defense in many ways. I know a lot of people don't like that performance, but I'm like, I've seen a lot of horror movies, and that's not a bad horror movie performance. I don't get that, I don't, I don't get I don't that criticism at all. I, think it was, I don't get it. Of all the things to really to pinpoint, I, I don't get that. Maybe because she's not Sydney. Maybe there's a weird. I don't want to start, you know, and analyzing anybody's views on on why that's a whole other fucking uh, disaster to talk about. Dan, you've got Richie at number three, which is the second highest of all of us. So why do you have him at number three? Yeah, honestly, he'd probably be higher if it weren't for that nostalgia factor. I, no. th- I think, it's, yeah, he genuinely surprised me. I, I, I was so convinced he was not the killer uh, all the way up until it was revealed. Really? Like, and and I think that's yeah. a combination of the script, but also his performance. I, he, he's got so, Jack, 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 Jack Quaid. Jack Kirby, say it. Jack Kirby. He's been renamed the, uh, to Kirby. I like, love this guy so much. I know his whole name. And he, and he, you well, know he created the Eternals. Jack Kirby Quaid. Was, yeah, <laughs> I gotta respect his art, his artwork. Yeah, no, but he he's got so much going on in that performance, and he he plays the nice guy thing so well without being cloying or fake. I just loved it. I mean, it was it was a, a genuine shock for me, which was uh, once again I did not think I'd be saying that about a screen movie in 2022. So got to give props to Mr. Kirby. Yeah, I mean Mr. Quaid. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Quaid, Quaid, like, like Quaid. when he says the murder hospital. Like I love that line. Like this, yeah, like he's so also funny. funny he's like legit funny too. Yes, like um, yeah. which yeah. Is, is not always the case in with a lot of these characters. So well, yeah, I love Mac. Him. You have you have him clocking. I think at number uh, five. Is that right? Oh no, number four. No, four. So four. Uh, why do you have him so high? Yeah, on the list? no, I like Richie a lot. I, I J, J, JKQ solid in this. I think that he. I during our trailer rundown, I was like, "It's probably him." Yeah, you did. <laughs> like, you why, did, you, why, you did. why? Why? Yeah, why do you have this in this movie? Because I, I agree, Mike. I'm a big boys fan. I like that show, and he's really good on it. I'll be playing a very slightly different character, though. He's kind of mm-hmm. he's got more agency in this. He's a little oh, yeah. bit more of a of a uh, a guy you would want to root for in this uh, in a different way. But I gotta uh, say, folks, again, uh, if you haven't seen Plus One. He's a delight. It's a it's a fun oh, yeah, modern yeah. romantic comedy. It's on Hulu. Check it out. Plus ones, yeah. He's just really entertaining. You don't want him to be the killer. I think for me, he takes backseat to Amber because a lot of his ghost face work is few and far between. Mm. And I and I understand that if he was the mastermind, I think anybody that is going to play the long game of having met her six months. And then developing a relationship and all of these things until you know what I mean, like that is dedication. <laughs> and uh, well, they, uh, um, they, I, I think, in terms of dedication, Vanderbilt 
how long is it six months before people find out that you're a psychopath when you're dating them? How long is well, it? Me? Yes. How long is it? <laughs> I think I put it out there. I think they know. you know. They see the tweets. Yeah, you see what goes on. <laughs> there's there's no long con there. So you've you've also got Richie in the t- in your top five at number five. I do. Um, go go ahead, go ahead, please. I, it was really a bummer when I found out it was him, and that's the point. That's the best yeah. way to put it. You're just like, no, you know, when you see it happen. You know, it's funny. You mentioned Richie Rich earlier. Guess what? In 2019, he voiced Richie Rich. That's really weird, actually. Isn't that weird? What, what yeah. was there in Richie Rich reboot uh, in some 2019? Like, Space Jam Two. It's this Harvey Girls Forever. I don't know. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, is it like the Harvey Comics? Is it like Harvey Comics? <laughs> I missed that one. Like that. Yeah, no, he played. Yeah, it, it, I think it is like supposed to be like the the Harvey Comics. Yeah, it is Harvey Comics. Yeah, yeah. Justin, uh, I'm surprised you didn't watch that. Was that in your HBO Max pledge yeah. that you did like a few years ago last year? <laughs> fucking Once Tom again, and Jerry. I, I, I think I peaked around the Renaissance, wherever the fuck that Hugh Jackman movie was. I went, you know what? I'm good here. Okay, uh, so my number two. We all go a little mad sometimes, Billy Loomis. But we cannot talk about Billy yet. Because it's time for us all to give our number ones. Dan Caffrey, who is your number one? Ghostface. Am I the only one who picked him as number one? I think I am, but maybe not. Stu Mocker. Wow. You are not the only one, dear boy. Ah, all right. Stu Mocker is Dan Caffrey's number one, played by the, 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 the wickedly, wickedly talented. <laughs> that will, you know what's that? funny? That will never not be funny to me. Oh, That's it's still hilarious. as funny as it was <laughs> five, six years up, ago. Jesus. And, then, and then the... Uh, the follow-up they did later where he, like, pinches her cheek. Oh, oh God. So uh, yeah. I love, I love so, it. Anyway. <laughs> God bless him. The wickedly talented Matthew Lillard. Okay. I have a question for Matt Gerber. Who is your favorite ghost face? Billy, Billy, Billy. Loomis. Hmm, not Billy or Jimmy Woods from uh, I was just wizard. thinking, was that the wizard <laughs> reference? <laughs> How about that? Roth, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy. Write the notes. They talked Woods. about Richie Rich, Goodfellas. Say by the bell of the, uh, the college years and the wizard. The wizard. Okay. California. Mike, <laughs> Mike Vanderbilt. <laughs> who is your favorite ghost face? It's Billy Loomis. Well, that's a good question. That's a good uh, answer. But Mike Rothman, who is your favorite? Uh, that would be Billy Loomis, played well, by my, uh, Skeet, Skeet, Skeet Ulrich. He's <laughs> Skeet. skeet. <laughs> not, not, not to be confused with Pete. Um, well, Skeet, Davidson. <laughs> Skeet Davidson. Wow, Billy Rothman, talk about him. Oh, so he's two. Holy shit! How about that? I mean, well, in this, in this, we're, the way we're discussing it, but we'll talk about the overall rankings later on. We'll interesting, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Billy Loomis is just the face of the franchise for me in terms of like, I mean, especially after Five Cream. I really can't get this. There's just something about it, like just seeing him bat in the back seat pop up. Just made me go like, wow, he really has been like the ghost that has lingered over all of this. And that's kind of one of the things I don't like about Scream 3 is that it takes away his agency because it's like, oh, Roman came to him and told him to do all this shit. And it's like, mm. yeah, no, like in either. the end, it's like it's always started with Billy Loomis. And like and and I just think about that one sequence where he like pops in at the very beginning and he like is just rattling off the things about Exorcist and stuff. And it's like you are literally like this is the movie like this is the fucking pitch right here. You have two teens that are talking about horror movies in a fucking bedroom. Like, it doesn't get more meta than that. And, like, for me, it's like I'm always just going to think of him. And then the fact that he is also, like, this sort of kind of weird 
I don't think it was ever intended, but like kind of like a weird spiritual homage to Johnny Depp in, in Nightmare on Elm Street because they definitely, look the fucking definitely. same. I, I don't know. There's something yeah. about it. And like, not to mention, he's just the hottest of, the, of any of the killers that are in this this franchise. Like, I just, uh, he's just fucking a rock great. hard hunk. He's so, he's great. He looks great. And he also just, he plays evil with so much glee and, and sexiness that it's like, it's hard to like not root for him. Oh yeah. It's like, way. he's got that dark magnetism yeah. going on. It's, it's great. Like when he licks his fingers and it's just like, it's fucking great. Like, and I, and I would say too, it takes a certain type of actor, not just, I think skill wise, but vibe and look wise to pull that off. Like not everyone could like, honestly, Matthew Lillard would do that. You'd be like, Ugh. <laughs> but, uh, but Skeet, man, he, he pulls it. Well, that's why I'm generally shocked that like he, like Skeet didn't have a bigger career. Like I, I, I. Well, look, I saw he, Chill Factor in theaters. Okay, I, I tried okay. to support him. He saved it. I, I think it's, I, I think it's rebounding a little bit. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't want to speak out of school or do the Dandela effect. Hey, he had some, some substance issues, right? And no, I think that was West Bentley. Up. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. West Bentley did. I think that might West be your thing. No, no, but yeah. I, th- I thought Skeet Ulrich had some kind of man. I, I shouldn't be saying this shit. I'm like ruining people's lives. On, no, well, you go ahead and research that, Dan, real quick while we go on to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, because you also have. Billy at uh, at number one. What's going on? Why do you have him so high? He's, I mean, what's your problem? <laughs> despite despite the Roman wrinkle, like he's the mastermind. He's the main dude. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And the way in that first movie, it's kind of expertly suggested that he's the killer through the whole thing. And you believe him to be innocent when he gets killed, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and to, only to reveal that there's two killers. That's fucking brilliant. And he's charismatic, and he's good looking, and. It. I love that he came back in five and finally mm-hmm. brought us to a sort of supernatural scream entry. Well, Mac, you have some notes on that because you saw it again and you were really keeping an eye out. And you think that it's possible that it was the ghost that told Sam where the knife was. You don't think Sam saw it first, right? It's, I watched it was really looking hard that second time <laughs> and... She does. does. They don't. They do not show you see. They do not show her see the knife. It is Billy that sees the knife first and says, "Hey, look over there. The knife's over there." Yeah, I think that Billy the Ghost is a definite possibility for the next film. Bleeds into our universe uh, (laughs) in some weird way. Billy, number one for me. I think we talk about when the reveal happens, whether or not you're still frightened. Uh, I think I was frightened of Billy the entire movie. <laughs> yes, hundred <laughs> percent. When you think, and when you do, when is that mislead? When you do think that he is, he's actually innocent. When he, you know, the, the fake stabbing uh, upstairs or whatever, you, you're like, fuck! Like I was wrong the whole time. Like yeah, you, you feel bad <laughs> for like <laughs> casting him as the villain. And I think that that's just a great, a great misdirect. And I, I do think that. It's funny because, you know, I, I think I always was saying like all the, the, the reveals that are the, the killers, they all of a sudden become Stu Mocker. They don't become Billy. Billy's very reserved in that last scene, except for that one time he gets a little heightened. But he's pretty reserved and, and, and just kind of mellow. And it's just that, that unnerving, you know, uh, Anthony Perkins-esque thing. Like even <laughs> it says the I mean, line, you know, he me. is very, it's, 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 it's you can tell something is off and and he means to do harm to, to Sydney, you know, and it's it's just really good. I really think it's uh, all the way through. Yeah. For me, why he's so high, obviously, is a great performance and it's a great once the reveal happens. There is something about him that is also very scary. Like we talk about Jill yeah. scary in stream four. He's also very scary, especially at the end. Mm-hmm. But I think we talked about this in the episode. 
I just can't recall a fake out like that. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some major motion picture over the last hundred years where it's like where somebody quote, quote, like fake kills somebody only to reveal that they're the accomplice. I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but that was so stunning for little 16 year old Justin at the time. Like once Billy is slashed in the chest, I just thought he's dead. I never thought it's a fake. I just didn't. I did not think it for a second. So when he is actually alive and turns around with the gun and it's just blown away. And, and you know, I think there, Mac, I, I disagree a little bit because I do think there is a template set with Billy as much as there is with Stu, because I do think the masterminds, even if they do appear to be quite unhinged, they're still a little bit more calculating and have, have it together than their accomplices. And Richie is straight up a leg, a legacy, a requel to Billy in a lot of ways. So I do think that he kind of sets his own little benchmark in that regard, which we, did we all talk about Billy? Well, I have one more thing. Okay, good. There's a Halloweenies connect with Billy. Does anyone know? Um, with uh, Ski Ulrich or the Ski Ulrich? Yeah. With Ski Ulrich. So there. one of our most recurring bits that we had, not in this season, I believe. Oh, maybe it was this season. He was in Weekend at Bernie's. He was an extra in Weekend what? at Bernie's. What? <laughs> yeah. Vanderbilt and I can't believe we didn't know that. Shame on so, me. Not bring that I get, up is there a Google image search? Of, is, he, is he somewhere to be found in the scene in Weekend at I'll Bernie's? I'll see if we can find it, but uh, right. it's... Well, yeah, Rafa, yeah, you find that, and once Dan Caffrey finds out Ski Ulrich's history... <laughs> I, I could, I'm not seeing anything of drugs. I feel like such a dickhead. I always do this. Wow. Yeah, you know this is? It's the Dandela yeah. effect. <laughs> but I, I will say this. Um, I did stumble across an interesting article just this year, uh, interview with um, him about the making of the first movie, and he talks about how he did not see the humor in the script, and he totally tackled the role from this very serious place reading up about serial killers. Well, a happy mistake, like this, happy accident. Yeah, psychological drama. And then Matthew Lillard was the opposite. And he was like, no, dude, the script's funny. And, and Skeet was like, no, you're ruining the scene. It's not funny. And I think that interplay actually oh, works really you, well. You, the fact that they're Pardon me. That. You do see him in Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. He's at the Please party. send it to the I just sent. Text. I just sent it to the text. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Like, well, I didn't Caffrey, think he'd be old enough at that. Like, to play that. Oh, I didn't almost, either. Yeah. All right. I, feel like, I feel like Stu and Billy are almost the two stylistic halves of the Scream franchise, right? Like Billy is the horror and Stu is the, the comedy. The Caffrey, you have set me up so well as a transition because yeah, my number one is Stu and honestly not to be, you know, difficult, but it's like a one, a one B thing with Stu and Billy for me. I think that they, oh, I agree. Yeah. they both yeah. set up the killers in their, in their own respective ways. Like you said, Caffrey and, you know, I knew of Lillard a little bit before that he was in Hackers. I remember seeing that and everything. And you know, Hackers is what it was is. SLC Punk out yet? I don't remember. Was it the same year SLC Punk was it ninety six? It, it was. A, I mean, it was all back to back. It was all the yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think what's amazing about this character is that he is the same throughout the movie. When you think about it, he is very over the top throughout the entire movie. There's not a character switch here, and he's also he's just got the most memorable lines and and you're still laughing it's a, it's a great way of balancing like you said Caffrey the horror and the comedy when Sydney calls him and he's bleeding to death the plans have gone awry and he's just my mom and dad are oh, going to kill great. me that line is still absolutely hilarious still 26 years later he's also just as vil- as, as vicious as billy and, and they've got a really weird uh uh, the combination between the two is, is just is, 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 is an interesting dynamic, I'll say, especially all these years later to see happen and to unfold on the screen. And when things just started to go wrong, I mean, just what an absolute loser. You know what? He yeah. doesn't realize how much of a loser he is. <laughs> yeah. And when Sydney starts to call him out, 
I just love seeing him unravel as much as he does in that finale. So, yeah, yeah shout out to Matthew Lillard, who's he's, still just the absolute king for me in, in this regard. He's the perfect Kevin, you also got my number one. I think, Kevin, do you want to add anything? You kind of talked about Stu when you were talking about No, yeah, it's, it's just the performance. I mean, like I said, I could switch them out either day, but I, I just like Matthew Lillard. I think he's super charismatic. I like Skid Ulrich, too. I mean, it makes sense hearing that story. Skid Ulrich seems like more of a serious focused guy. Matthew Lillard, didn't Randall interview him, I think, for a yeah. club or something? Yeah. He just seems like a really fun, like sincere kind of guy, and I think that radiates in the performance. Like, like Stu, as a kid, when I was a kid, I still really liked Stu all the way through this, even though he does horrible shit. He's killing people left and right, but he's so charismatic through and through up until the moment that TV falls on his head. So, yeah, for me, it's just the performance that puts well, him just a little bit of a, a notch. I wanted above, to uh, let's go, Mike. You still have him in your top five, but you have him at number at number five, which is a little lower than than the other ones, the other of us, I should say, the other of us. Folks, we're two and a half hours in. Forgive me. Uh, so, Mike, why do you have him at uh, like kind of right there in the middle? I mean, it, again, it's like the singularity of it all. Like, I, I mean, when you think about who I have above it, you know, above Pretty Stu, good. they yeah. all they they all bring something new to the table. Like, I mean, I I figured I picked Stu and Billy from the the get go when I first saw it. Like, mm. I there was just no there was no surprise to me. Even even with the fake out with 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 Billy, I still was kind of like, eh, it's, it's going to be them. Who the fuck else is going to be Randy? It's just not going to happen. Like. Well, it's still so, be one killer at the time. Yeah, I, I and I guess you know, and in that point, but it was always going to be Stu. You know, like as mm. they say at the end of uh, Candyman, it's always you, Helen. Uh, well, it's always you, Stu. So, um, <laughs> for me, I it, it, he just can't hold a candle to the surprise and sort of um, ingenuity of say like a Mrs. Loomis or you know a, or Jill or or and now even Richie because I think Richie just kind of brings his own little quirk to the table. But also, if I'm being transparent, I knew all you motherfuckers are going to have Stuart like number one. So I was like, all right, let's shake this thing up a little bit. So I'm not going to have no. him go no, all the way up no. there. This um, is uh, Mike no, Joker. You, you on make us. a good point for number five, though. To be fair, you make a good yeah, point. For number some, to kind of to your point, Justin, about the they go hand in hand kind of thing. Like, also think about all the, the a lot of the kills in this are both of them working together. Mm-hmm. You know, like. One's at the window, and then all of a sudden, someone's at the door. Uh, you know, the the Casey deaths at the beginning, like that's two killers there, most likely, right? Yeah, we you know we we, we broke all these down that? earlier on. We, we watched uh, ulti- it a million ultimately, times. I feel like there's a lot of like teamwork there, but I I think what you also said about there's never a oh this is actually who I really am. It, he really he is that character all the way through is great, and I always think of that great shot and scene when. Randy and him come to the door and Sydney's trying to decide. And even at that point, I still was like, I don't know because both of them are being themselves. Yeah. It's not like you're you're trying to see who's faking it. You're like, I just, I don't know still. I don't know who, who now you have me guessing Randy in the last like two seconds of the movie, you know, like, um, but yeah, I, he, he's just magnetic in this is so funny. And that's such a hard line to walk. It could have been, it's such a cartoonish character at that point, And somehow it's, it manages to still work. And I think that speaks volumes of the actor and the, yeah, the character. I, and Vanderbilt, you also had Stu at, at number two. Is it, is it, is it a one, a one B thing for you or is it, is Stu just he's, definitively like the second, the number two, he's guy, the like perfect the henchman. Banana. He couldn't have yeah. done that without Billy leading him. And he's kind of, uh, it's that perfect archetype where he's like the, he's a, the dorky friend who gets to hang out with the cool guy and thinks he's as cool. And then you mm. find out in those final moments that he certainly is not. I like that dynamic. It's a good dynamic. And, and I, I just feel like, and I like that they imply that they were fucking. 
you know, you know, enough people talked about that. I feel like yeah, I always <laughs> or at least felt wanted that. to, even if they didn't. Maybe Stu wanted to with Billy. That's a whole other. Uh, I think that's where it. I think that's where it comes in more. That's my read of it, and especially yeah. after Five Cream, which, to be fair, though, I mean, like, it seems like. Billy could be pretty fluid sexually, so who knows? Um, well, well maybe know. Ghost Billy will reveal himself <laughs> even more, yeah. and uh, Ghost Stu shows up. Ghost, oh Ghost Stu, I'm Ghost telling you, Frighteners, do Frighteners fuck this fucking franchise. Yeah, I'd be fine with it at this point. We've gotten well, everything we need from it. Would you yeah. rather see Ghost Stu, or would you rather see Ghost Two with Whoopi Goldberg and Demi Moore returning? I mean, it would be kind of <laughs> cool because, especially since the main star of Ghost is a ghost now. So, um, oh God. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> wow. I think we're, 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 we're more likely to see the ghosts of Randy appear to, to one of the Meeks Martin kids when they like almost have a life near life, near death experience. Like, beware. I was in Roe versus Wade. He's, he's like, you know what? It's not your time. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it's like, um, okay, like the, what's the George Burns movies? Oh, 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 God. oh God. <laughs> Well, they have, they should, they should he's have up a, there with, he's up there with the cigar. Yeah. They should a, have a Vanderbilt. seance and bring, Randy back. That's Why what not? sets Let's everything. Give, that's what sets everything in motion. Films. That's what sets everything in motion for <laughs> ghost sequels. Scream. You know, to 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 paraphrase one of the stars of Scream Three, I think that in many ways the villains in the Scream sequels were always chasing Billy and chasing Stu. Of course, I'm paraphrasing Silent Bob from Scream Three. Oh, and chasing Amy. Shall I give you? The Gerbalytics, aka Calculations, the rankings, the official rankings, the Halloweenies rankings of the Ghostface Killers. Are you ready? Coming in at number nine, definitively, an average at number nine. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. <laughs> number eight. Let's just say Roman doesn't reign in this situation. Roman. Uh, way up, way above Charlie, believe it or not. Charlie was really low, folks. For you Charlie heads out there, sorry. Another big leap. We have a tie. A tie for six and seven. Between Amber and Mickey. Both mm. tied for number six. Right there in the middle. Uh, much like the Jimmy World song. From Bleed American. <laughs> Mrs. Loomis. Coming in number five. On the big list here. Coming in at number four. A, bit, a decent jump actually. Jill from Scream 4, number four overall. Just a tick above Jill. Jack Kirby, a.k.a. Jack Quaid, a.k.a. Quaid. 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 <laughs> Richie. And then a big jump to number two with Stu. Stu. It's then, Stu. It's Stu. And then an even bigger jump to number one. Billy Loomis, played by Skeet Ulrich. So, there we have it. We've ranked the movies. We've ranked Ghostface. I think going through, it was, it was pretty cool going through Ghostface, because like I said, I think some of us looked at it as the whole movie, and, and, the, and the Ghostface kills, and who did this, and who did that. And then some of us looked at like the reveal, and the, and the performances in the, in the finale, and how they acted. So I think there were different ways to go at this, but um, I'm happy that we ended up doing the killers as well as the, as the movies themselves, because they didn't always yeah. correlate too. We had killers ranked higher than some of us ranked the movies themselves. And I think that does say a lot about those performances that kind of stand out maybe in lesser, less favorable entries, but uh, wow. It's, it's, it's so weird when we end 
this is the end of the season. We it's did done. It. Another year. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations. Uh, we did it. I'm ready for a cabin trip, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, we'll be taking a cabin trip pretty soon. But any any final words on Scream? Briefly, Mike Rothman. I mean, this has been a great run. I, I think ultimately what I'm most proud of with this season is just how long we were able to stretch this out. I mean, this is Max vision from the get-go of just yeah. being able to do all the, rec- the Randy's racks and all. And I think we really, I mean, I just think it, led us to some really interesting areas and it also i feel like it grew the show in a way that you know we i didn't think we did before i mean i just think we we our research has gotten far the depth of our research is just is is unfathomable sometimes at this point like it's 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 kind of challenging like there's been i mean i don't know if any of you out there listen to uh if you are are members of our uh patreon the the rewind um patreon.com slash Halloween East pot. Again, I'm the shill. You could hear like that. It, it translates there where I have these one-offs where, you know, the screen franchise has been fun, but the depth of research that you get isn't necessarily, you know, where it, where it is with a lot of those Randy's Rex episodes where we had to really kind of bring some to the table to kind of a connect it to scream. And then also B really show you the importance of where it stands and where those titles, you know, uh, stand in, in the realm of horror. And I, I just think it's changed us as hosts and it's changed us as, 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 uh, as voices, um, you know, talking about this genre for the better. Um, and that's, that's my big takeaway with this season. Um, I just think like we're coming out of this, uh, a little stronger, a little wiser. And so I'm excited to see how we're going to take some of those talents, uh, not to South beach. Hey, look, I love you know, to go to South beach. Hey, you know, it'd be fun, but instead we're going to the woods, the Michigan woods. So, hmm. Yeah. Dan Caffrey, uh, any, any final words on Scream? Uh, I don't think I have much to say about it. Uh, these, uh, it's I. You know what? I actually, I think I'm not burned out by it because I, I think I was only on five, no, four and five, and this episode. So it's been in the home stretch. So I'm, it, it was fun to be on this and get to talk about Scream Two, the first three films, a little bit, especially my favorite Scream Two. But no, it's been super fun. But I am also excited to go into the woods of. Uh, in Michigan, is that where they filmed it's it? It's weird right. because I feel like the first one's technically Tennessee, and that's where they shot it. But I, I always considered that it was still in the woods of Michigan. It feels because they're all from Michigan, you know. So <laughs> yeah. it just feels yeah. like that. Does so Matthew Lillard? Well, we'll yeah, debate it that. next season. Vanderbilt, any any thoughts on on the year that was? You know, I'm with Rothman. Uh, I've appreciated doing the Scream series, but I think the most fun I had was looking back at those Randy Rex. To finally go uh, into, you know, old slasher movies that we're never going to cover because there really wasn't a franchise or something like that Basic Instinct episode where we got to really go off the rails and do like a big time Hollywood thriller. It was an expose. Yeah. And while also looking forward with the Scream franchise and kind of tying it all in, how it works together and not just being a, you know, a horror movie podcast, but a film history podcast. That's how we're listed on uh, Apple. We're film history, and I don't think that we are. I don't think that's pretentious or bullshit. I think we no, really, it's just the truth. I think we really <laughs> do offer truth. up uh, more yeah. history than uh, some other podcasts out there. Yeah, the hardcore history of of horror podcasts, that's and that's the stuff I like. Those. That's the stuff I yeah. like in in a podcast. Mike, you could use that and and do HHH like uh, or HMH like Halloween. Oh, Memorial that is true. Hospital. Yeah, Mac. Final thoughts on on the year that was the Scream and the Randy's Rex. Uh, you know, it's been a roller coaster, but I think that we all figured it out. I I do love that it was really challenging because we were running into the what other franchises have 12 movies or how do <laughs> yes. how do we do a franchise without, you know, 
uh, or make it the whole season. And I think that was the challenge was uh, dragging, dragging this out to meet <laughs> five cream. We had to get creative. And I think that we were able to do that. And what's great though, about the thing that we loved about the Randy's Rex and being able to do kind of these oddball things is that we still get to do that next season with our, our, our Patreon episodes with the rentals. Usually they're more horror oriented. You know, I don't know if we're going to get basic instinct in there, but I, I do <laughs> like that. We get to continue that alongside diving into some interesting episodes, I think, for for Evil Dead that aren't necessarily movie-based, but um, content-based. So that'll be fun, too. But uh, yeah, Scream, Five Cream, what a way to end it. I I can honestly say, and, and I don't speak for Dan, but of all the franchises that we've covered, I'm genuinely really excited about the next entry, whereas for the other franchises... Well, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street is dead in the water. Friday the 13th is dead in the water. And the next Halloween <laughs> Halloween entry, I guess I'm kind of excited for well, it. We'll get rid of it in eight months. I don't know. Don't I'm not looking for me, forward to it, but I'll definitely. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Mac, once again, I think, I remember we were, I think we were at Music Box. Maybe four of us were there. I don't think you were in town at the time. But when Mac, I think I remember Mac coming up with that Randy's Rex thing. And it was like, oh, obviously this makes perfect sense to do that. And Echo Vanderbilt too, I think I enjoyed covering like the obscure oddball horror like house of sorority row and then the more mainstream fair like a basic instinct really 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 diving into what was going on at the time and trying to connect it to to scream in its own ways and like you said rough i think we did get a little bit more in the weeds in a good way not just to separate ourselves from the pack but i just think it's and and there are other pockets that do a great job of this too but i think personally it would have been a little bit more challenging just to hang out and just watch a movie do no research and just say, oh, yeah, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. That was yeah. a cool kill. I just love talking to the four of you and our, and our awesome guests that we've had on throughout the years, honestly, and really talk about what was going on at the time, what was going on behind the scenes, the legacy of these movies. Because honestly, the slasher movies still don't get a lot of respect. They don't, 40 years later. So I'm happy that we're still able to do that. And this season especially, I was so happy that we all – enjoyed stream five because <laughs> sometimes you know it leads up to the movies get worse and worse and worse and worse and it's just yeah. a real like get me to the next season already but uh i thought the scream five episode that we did was also a lot of fun for having just seen it you know a couple days earlier but i tough. too am am really looking forward to uh heading back into the woods of tennessee michigan uh the medieval times whatever you want to call <laughs> it for i'll just say we haven't said it officially well at least in this episode but evil dead Evil Dead 2022. I'm really looking forward to discussing the, the trilogy. I'm looking forward to revisiting the remake, which I've only seen once. And wow. obviously we're all, in my opinion, pleasantly in the dark when it comes to Evil Dead Rise. I mean, I think that's cool that we still have absolutely no idea what this movie's going to look like. <laughs> yeah. What the feel of it's going to be. And it's going to be fun to really go month by month with giving updates. Like, do we have any idea what this movie is? And hopefully, my God, I don't think there's any reason why they would skip it, but it should definitely come out this year. And uh, I'm looking forward to diving into that, the TV show, games, and everything else. And, of course, Halloween ends in October. We'll be back in Haddonfield for all of uh, October. And that's I'm, – I'm really excited for that because as much as, like, I hated Halloween Kills – uh, that month was so much fun. Like yeah. in the, in the, like the, time. the side episodes we had, I mean, I just, I always love going back to Haddonfield. I think Caffrey said it before, like with, with going into Halloween movies, like just being and being able to talk about it. Like there's something special about that. And that's something also I realized this, this season was just 
man, like it, it really does feel like riding a bike, you know, when you go back and talk about Halloween, like that, oh, that, that required like yeah. so little research. Whereas like, I mean, even <laughs> something like an episode that I have mentioned a bunch of times, like something like Manhunter, which I love to death. I love that series. Like I love that movie so much, but I spent like three fucking weeks researching that. And it was, it became like, I, I treated it like my grad school work and stuff. And like with Halloween, yeah. I just never really do that. Like, cause it's so embedded and it's so yeah. in us. And I think that, I don't know that that naturalism is 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 the heart of this podcast. So being able to go back to it is it, it really does feel like home. Well, you um, say naturalism, but a lot of people don't know this that this podcast is a hundred percent scripted. Yeah, and I think sometimes that we've done it is some pretty me. great performances. I do think we've done some pretty good performances. Mike Mike Johnson as Mike Vanderbilt was has been an amazing addition to the cast. Thank you very much for having me come on. Uh, oh, it's been wonderful having you. No, but uh, look, this is, <laughs> I love doing this podcast. I love hanging out and being able to talk to everybody. And it's funny because even with Dan, Dan, Dan has not lived in Chicago. You moved, what, five years, four man. years ago? Five years ago? Five years ago. Yeah. And because Crazy of text man. threads and because of this podcast, it doesn't it, – sometimes, you know, you don't see people for a while. There's like that awkward – Pause. I, I don't get that at all. Like then Dan will Dan will inevitably be, come to some wedding in like a couple of years, and it will not feel like I haven't seen him. Oh. I mean, and and, and, the great thing about doing the podcast. but only because of the podcast. Otherwise, it would. Of course, yeah, Dan's we do here. try we gotta, to be fair. We we do avoid each other immediately. Yeah, we got <laughs> to ask him about Muppets or something. Dan, guys, book with him. Violante uh, and, and threads. Yeah. And Dan, have we ever met in person? Just very briefly at. Was it South by or Fantasia? Weren't you at Pet Cemetery? I at was. South by? Yes. Yeah. I think really quick on the sidewalk. I think that's it, though. How about that, folks? A little crazy. inside baseball for you. Some of us have never met in the flesh. I haven't met. Um, I, feel like, I feel like half of the Losers Club I haven't met in person uh, either. So, well, yeah. neither have I. I mean, I've, I've Jen and <laughs> I, I say, have recorded I about probably like I don't know three hundred hours worth of content, and I still have never met her in person, which is crazy. Well, so. yeah. I think because yeah. Jen's been on this, on this podcast as well a bunch, and I think it'll be. You know, I'm thinking, I think it'll be very emotional when we finally do actually meet each other yeah, in person. Because so I haven't even thought yeah. about that, but we have not seen each other in person. Well, it's wild um, to think that like we started this podcast after Caffrey left Chicago. Yeah, and, that's right. And, but our yeah. first episode was recorded in person because you were visiting, um, which right, is interesting. Right. So, oh, that's, that's right. right. Oh man, yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Well, folks, hope you've enjoyed this trip down memory lane. Uh, please be <laughs> sure to check out, check out our additional episodes outside of our main feed which we talked about, uh, patreon.com backslash Pod. My God, dozens of bonus episodes on movies that are kind of outside of franchise horror or franchise horror that we'll be covering. And some, uh, I'll say it, downright hilarious yet informative commentaries, occasionally with call-ins from people who have been dead for decades. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, <laughs> always a fun time. And we've got many more to come on, on our Patreon page. You can find me, Justin Gerber, uh, over at the Losers Club, uh, a Stephen King podcast as well. And please sh- be sure to, to listen to us over there. How about you, uh, Mike Vanderbilt? You've got, <laughs> at this point, you've got I th- at least two other podcasts right so now. Right now, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Vanderbilt, and you can catch me on the Windy City Double Feature Picture Show podcast and Centerfold, uh, Revealing History Through Playboy Magazine podcast. And this will, be the, idea. this will be the first time that I'm mentioning this, but I have uh, a new podcast coming out on April 1st is the date, but I'm not going to tell you any more than that. But Wait a minute. Is this something that we don't even know about? No, none of you guys know about this. Will you tell us off mic? Yeah, I suppose I could do that. 
No, that's good. That's right. I didn't think <laughs> it's, it was like, it's, oh, not, fuck you. it's not like I'm building it up or anything. It's just I want to make sure that I actually get it together. You yeah, know? that's a great point. We promise a lot of things uh, on accident on these podcasts, and then people like a year later will be like, hey, what happened to Black Christmas? It, it, it's something like we always say at Rock Island Public House. <laughs> that's you know, true. For every, for every great idea, you know, for six great ideas that we have, like half of them don't get come to fruition. But they're so good. Rothman, Luchas Club, obviously, right? Yeah, you could find me at uh, the Losers Club recording, you know, 12 episodes a month. And because uh, <laughs> we've cut, you know, we set our bar for ourselves uh, on that end. Uh, and uh, doing sales over at Bloody Disgusting. Uh, you could see my work, uh, the, the, the cursed banners that are on uh, the, the the Bloody Disgusting side right now. I'm very proud of them. But uh, first, come in the shutter. Uh, yeah, I, Curse, Curse Films uh, coming to show. I can't wait oh. for that. But uh, Jade Shield, great guy. But yeah, we got a lot of stuff coming up over at Losers Club. We just did two episodes on on writing. And tomorrow night, I'm recording an episode, uh, much delayed episode on The Shining uh, with uh, Jed Shepard, who wrote and produced Host and the forthcoming Dash Cam. Big good, big good. And, oh, I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be also a little overwhelmed. Again, going back to that research thing, like I don't know how to stop. So I've uh, I literally feel like Jack Torrance when I'm doing the research at this point so yeah lots of stuff there you know, go follow me on at michael rothman for for fun tweets i, I think i just yeah. posted a bud dwyer photo that's probably gonna get me in trouble but whatever oh um, well, no <laughs> <laughs> all right mac how about you well you can follow me at wolfman underscore mac underscore gerber on insta uh, i've got a link tree there to a bunch of different projects include many of the things we've already been talking about and uh carving out a big chunk of my life this year i'm 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 putting it out there now so people could hold me to it i'm trying to to write and record a solo album so that's been really interesting developing that and i'm also developing a new podcast just throwing it out there to y'all right now called bagul boys <laughs> where we talk every 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 month we revisit sinister one and two every and talk month. about Mr. Boogie Bagul himself. No, I'm kidding. This is this this podcast is enough for good God for anybody. <laughs> I tip my tip my hat to to Mike. <laughs> the 12 episodes of Lose Club is just intense, and this wow. he's a workhorse. Mac, I will say um, this. I was going to tweet something. Listen, our listeners have got a great sense of humor, so I'll share it here. Here's a here's a too hot to tweet that I was going to do. I was going to say, who is scarier, Mr. Boogie from uh, Sinister? Or Mr. Boogity from the Disney movie, Mr. Boogity. And it was going to be A, Mr. Boogie, B, Mr. Boogity, C, have had sex. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, that's not too hot to do. That's, 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 that's funny. That's funny. That's funny. It's a funny bit. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, Dan, Dan, how about you? Uh, yeah, you can find me at uh, DW Caffrey, both on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, I'm sorry, Damon. A, B, or C? I don't know who Mr. Boogity is from oh, Disney. Oh, rabbit so. hole, Dan. Yeah, I could, uh, uh, but, but I do know who, who Boogie Bagul is from uh, Bagul. Sounds familiar. I was a Bagul. Get that over there. I cut you off for the bit, but where can we find you? What's going on over there in New York? Oh, just DW Caffrey. Yeah, I'm a Losers Club, of course. I'm on the on writing episodes. I don't think I have anything. Thing especially notable coming up right now. Yeah, just just doing my thing, living in the world. Yeah, I just want to thank the fans. I want to thank you all for having me. Uh, thank you. For being I love here. The, <laughs> the baseline goodbyes. <laughs> it's been a great week. I want to thank Lauren Michaels. Uh, Joe Rogan style, right? Oh yeah, yeah, cool. I've never made it to the end of the Joe Rogan podcast, so I can't speak. I can't speak. I've for listened that, to one so. episode, the one where Tarantino was on. 
Not uh, bad more listen, like, I'm sure. Uh, I think joke Rogan, and not because his stand-up jokes are funny. You know what I'm saying? No, well, what a great I, way to end the season talking about never Joe Never listen Rogan. to him. Yeah. It's been a blast. What's our, you know what, we, our new sign-off should be whatever our Evil Dead is going to be. So what, oh, I what got our, one. I, what do you got, it. Mike Rothman? What do you got? Never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth ah, shut. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, forget it. We'll do it next time. Good about it. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>